It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Got a great panel for you this week. It's always fun when Christina Warren stops by from Microsoft. Daniel Rubino from Windows Central. Dan Morin from Macworld and SixColors.com. We're going to talk about Mark Zuckerberg's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Reviews of all the new Surface hardware. And then, can Coca-Cola save the world and destroy video games? It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech. Episode 844, recorded Sunday, October 10th, 2021. Christina needs it. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Stamps.com. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code TWIT, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments, no contracts. Just go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in TWIT. And by checkout.com. Modern businesses need flexible payment systems that can help them adapt to change, grow, and scale fast. Checkout.com is a leading cloud-based global payment solutions provider. Request a free no-commitment demo at checkout.com slash twit. And by ESET. Nobody wants their organization to be patient zero in a cyber attack. Right now, ESET Protect Complete is 20% off, and you can try it before you buy. Get your free ESET business trial and an interactive demo at business.eset.com slash twit. And by IT Pro TV. The IT world needs cybersecurity more than ever, along with qualified people to fill its roles. Get your cybersecurity certs with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash twit for an additional 30% off all consumer subscriptions for the lifetime of your active subscription when you use the code TWIT30 at checkout. It's time for TWIT This Week in Tech. show that covers the week's biggest stories. They're all big this week, i got to tell you, with the best tech journalists in the biz. Daniel Rubino is here from Windows Central. It's great to have you as always, Daniel. Uh, I guess it's been a busy week. Brand new version of Windows coming out. Something for yeah, it has been busy. About. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, of all the big, big stories to cover, it seems like <laughs> Windows 11 is the, one of the smallest. But we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Also, some brand new Surfacey uh, with us. Also from Microsoft uh, herself, Christina Warren. Always great to see the senior cloud advocate for Microsoft, who has been grounded thanks to COVID. Thank goodness. I think you were going to burn out. Probably, although I miss it, man. I can't wait to get back in the in the air again. Ignite is uh, not on the road, right? This year, it is not. It is not. Um, it's going to be. It's November, and uh, it'll still be virtual. Yeah. When do you think uh, you'll be doing the in person? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I hope next year, but I mean, it's it's also up in the air, right? Like we, um, our our tentative come back to the office date. I mean, they've actually stopped giving us. A tentative they finally like, gave up. Be, yeah, they're they're like they're like, look, we'll tell you, but we're not we're not because they kept having to push things back, and uh, but it'll probably be like January, you know, February, hopefully, you know, things things will be better. You then, were supposed to I, you I, were supposed I, to come back this week, actually. As I yeah, remember, I think October you're right. 4th. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And and uh, yeah, like probably a month and month plus ago, they were like, yeah. No, things are looking up, though. I have to say, uh, this is the first time I felt hopeful in quite some time 
uh, about the yeah. virus. It seems to be that, that we're starting to turn the table all across the country, which is really good. Also uh, with us, uh, great to see Dan Morin. He's our Apple guy, sixcolors.com. Great to have you, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Apple, had a little, Apple owned last week. Uh, right. So they have to sit right. we back take, take a week off. Yeah, take a week off. Yeah, because, yeah, that's actually my first question. Uh, uh, don't they have some laptops to announce? When are they going to do that? Anytime soon? Uh, I Yeah, I mean, I think the guess is sometime, I mean, October seems a pretty solid bet. Uh, probably not next week since the, um, I know the Pixel event is coming up on a Tuesday, which is Apple's traditional day. So probably that last Tuesday, it seems like, which is also right before their quarterly earnings call. So that seems like a uh, pretty good point. Oh, that's to a good sort bet. Of the twenty sixth. Yeah, I, w- right. I would say the twenty sixth. Yeah, that's my bet. Yeah, we're going to be doing the Pixel Six. Uh, we'll do a live stream, Jason Hell and I, on the nineteenth. Um, that's a week from Tuesday. Apple usually sends out invites a week ahead of time, so I'm thinking we'll uh, that day also get an invite for a twenty sixth event. That makes sense. Thank mm-hmm. you, Dan, for clarifying sure. all that. Happy to help. So Christina and I were talking about <laughs> our exciting new framework laptop. But, yes. but you're gonna want you're gonna want a 16 inch MacBook Pro with the M1X or whatever uh, you're gonna want. Obviously, that. this is the problem. Obviously, this is a terrible time of year for tech lovers. Every- it really is because we go broke, right? Yeah, like- everything. <laughs> Ever the, I just got an iPhone 13. Now I got to get a Pixel 6. Well, wait a minute. What about the court, the Duo 2 from Microsoft? What about? Yeah. Oh gosh. All right. We'll change the subject. Let's talk about uh, the internet instead of uh, instead of hardware, because of course this was Facebook's terrible, no good, very bad week in so many ways. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> not great. No, Started not great. last Sunday with the 60 Minutes interview. The Facebook whistleblower finally came forward. Her name is Frances Haugen. She worked for a couple of years at Facebook. Uh, what was her What was her uh, title? She, she was working on... She's a data scientist. She's a data scientist, and I think she was working on election... Fraud. She, she, she was like on the on on the information integrity team or something like that. Yeah, right. yeah. But uh, and I don't think she went there to blow the whistle or anything. I think she legitimately wanted to help Facebook do a better job. But when she saw what was going on, she started amassing documents, uh, documents from other departments, things she had access to but wasn't working on, and released them eventually to the Wall Street Journal, which has spent two weeks doing its Facebook files bit by bit, revealing. Things and I guess the top line was Instagram makes young women feel terrible. <laughs> Facebook knows about uh, COVID nineteen fraud but can't do anything about it. Uh, and in her division, Facebook uh, the day after the election stopped protecting people from misinformation, mm. which possibly had something to do with uh, the January sixth uh, inf- insurrection. Uh, so, so that was Sunday night. The next day, Facebook, in completely coincidentally, demonstrates to the world why it desperately needs Facebook by going offline for five hours. <laughs> Some people might have had the opposite conclusion. Uh, oh, I don't really need that so much. But but Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp go down. The world trembles. Three and a half billion users go, what happened? Uh, it turns out that was a error uh, in by uh, an engineer in one of their... Backbone facilities, Facebook published a post, which I think is accurate. You never know with Facebook. It's not fully detailed, but it's the way they work. They have a lot of network operations centers, all of which are interconnected via a backbone. So you'll request an image from one and it can ask for it 
via its private backbone from the other. Those backbones are com- commonly taken down and updated. Uh, in this case, one was being taken down. They ran a program that was supposed to test backbone capacity before they put it back up. The program had a bug, and in the process, they, they turned off all of the backbones, then all of the routers, and then, mm-hmm. and imagine this at Microsoft, they turned off all of the security stuff so they couldn't even get into the network centers to fix the problem. The card readers stopped working. They had to like dispatch like special ops teams kind of like to the data centers from what I read to say like to, yeah. to get in and actually with wire get cutters online. with bolt yeah. cutters. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I mean at that point if you, if, you, if, if, you've, if you've broken everything to the point that you can't get inside the buildings, I mean Oof. We've had we've had internal stuff go down before where like our internal, you know, like SharePoint or or, or Teams or email went down and and that sucks. Like don't get me wrong, like that's awful. But I can't I mean, when when it's as bad as like the building doors don't unlock. Oh my god, I can't imagine the amount of of um terror and uh just, you know, like triage that that had to go into place to a get things back online and then it takes hours once you do, you know, change the configuration thing for everything to re, you know, repopulate through, you know, right. DNS and and to get the BGP routes, you know, reset again as as well as standing up stuff that got, you know, shut down that isn't used to being down. I mean, and and then I'm sure, you know, testing everything to make sure everything's working the right way. I'm not a fan of Facebook, but I I had nothing but empathy for the engineers that had to work on like getting that back up because the pressure must have just been terrible because not just because as you said three and a half billion people you know it's it's your internal systems would be bad enough but then all of your external systems all of your customers nothing is happening you're hearing I'm sure nothing but phone calls from people screaming when is this going to be done like there there's a term we use uh, in the industry called a uh, hug ops you know kind of like you know giving like empathy for the for the people <laughs> who have to build stuff back up again. And is there God, an emoji like, for that? I want a hug ops emoji. I like that. <laughs> there should be an emoji for that. But but I mean, like I said, I, I don't think Facebook is the greatest company, but I had nothing but empathy for, for that scenario because it's just nightmarish. I can't even imagine. You it know? doesn't look like it was human error. It looks like it was, a, as always in these cases, a cascade of unexpected consequences right. that brought everything down. And by the way, Cloudflare, which had a great blog post trying to understand this before Facebook revealed what really happened, pointed out that this affects everybody because yeah. suddenly all these requests to Facebook are getting rejected and so people mm-hmm. keep refreshing and they keep hitting refresh. Right, which just makes it worse, right? Every, the whole right. internet right. gets suddenly sluggish. We are so interdependent. I have to admit, and this is just paranoid Leo, I, I imagine Mark Zuckerberg and his mountain lair saying, we'll show those people and pull the, <laughs> pull the plug for one minute. Make it five hours, and that, but that it didn't reflect well on Facebook. I don't think they would have done that. So, the weird thing is, it went back down for another two hours on Friday. Mm-hmm. You would think that, oh well, we got this all. We're never going to let that happen again. We, we tested everything, right? We we checked it all out, <laughs> well, right? Guys, you guys, you guys tested that, Twice? right? You checked it in one week. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> Right. I mean, I have to imagine, and I don't know what happened with that one, but I have to imagine when you're standing stuff back up and you're in such a hurry and you have so much pressure maybe. to yeah. you know, get it back up, that if that maybe something wasn't you know propagated the right way and something was misconfigured when it came back online, who knows? You know, But <sighs> at least that one, I think it just seemed like it was a normal outage. It wasn't like, okay, internally, everything is down. 
and externally. I mean, because to me, that's the nightmare scenario of, of everything being down everywhere. It wasn't intentional, but it did underscore how important Facebook is yeah. to the world economy, especially in countries like Brazil, where everybody uses WhatsApp. And not yeah. just for talking to each other, but for business. So many, many mom and pop businesses lost thousands of dollars due to the outage. Uh, it, it really shows how interconnected and, and how important, how how I- into the wiring Facebook is, um, yeah. which just to me means another reason we got to really scrutinize them. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, no, the, the it seems like a great the, example. Yeah, I was just Go saying the, uh, all the stuff that we've heard recently with Apple and antitrust as well, but Facebook has also been under scrutiny for that. And I think it is a good example of the fact that there are so many services and so many things that depend so heavily on it. I was thinking back to... I was on vacation in Mexico a few years ago, and if you were in your room and you wanted to contact the front desk, they didn't have phones. You WhatsApped the front desk to ask for like, service and stuff. Really? Yeah, that was just the way it was, right? And wow. it's like, it's so prevalent and so people are so dependent on it that you have that moment of being like, well, is this a monopoly? Like, is this something where they control so much of this? But because it's so global, rather than being focused in the U.S., you don't see as much scrutiny on it, at least from like the U.S. government. So, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like I, I've even dealt with big brands in, in other countries where their customer service is almost exclusively through WhatsApp. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's, you know, it, it, it's just like that's just the way that you contact people. So, so the whistleblower testified in front of the Senate, the Commerce Committee, uh, on Tuesday uh, and basically said it's time for Facebook to declare moral bankruptcy, which I thought was an interesting concept we know about email bankruptcy where you just go you throw up your hands and say you know i'm never going to get to your email i'm throwing them all out and starting over she her opinion was facebook should say yeah we didn't mean to create this monster but it's a mess and we don't know how to fix it help us i'm not sure i agree and i'm very curious what you all think i'll start i'll start with you dan i don't know if i think congress is the place to go for help because I don't think they, I mean, any anybody who thinks Finsta is a Facebook service clearly should not be in a position to regulate Facebook. That was, of course, well, some of your uh, It's hard to say because the question is when you get to that size, and Apple is also in a position that's dealing with this right now, there really aren't a lot of other things to turn to besides government regulation, right? I mean, the market is so self-sustaining at that point because it's so big and it keeps getting bigger that I think that it's really tough to be like, well, the competition will take them down. I mean, how could you start a competition at this point to take on Facebook? Nor could users. The stakes are so large. We've seen dump Facebook movements, but they've not in any way. It doesn't catch on, right? I mean, I think that's that's the question is, and I agree that the, the Congress is not always the most technologically savvy, but I think in terms of sort of trying to figure out like, what are the tools we can deploy? They what may else be the only, yeah. yeah, they may be the only recourse at this point because I don't know the problem. It kind of goes even larger than this in some ways because as long as Facebook has that, you know, obligation to its shareholders to try and maximize value, they're going to try and make as much money as possible. And sometimes that's going to mean cutting those moral corners. And I don't think there's an incentive for them not to do that, despite what Zuckerberg says. Christina, very famously in, in 98, the Department of Justice sued Microsoft. Yep. Uh, and while, you know, it went on for a decade and eventually there was a consent decree. Uh, I think it's safe to say that that was successful in the sense that it got Microsoft 
to kind of sit back a little bit, not be so aggressive in the market, not pursue its monopoly. You know, Mike, one of the things Microsoft does is kind of a Facebook's taking a page from that playbook is if there's a competitor, invite them in, find out how they work, then either buy them or steal their technology and duplicate it. They were, Microsoft right. used to do that, engulf and devour. Um, but they stopped. Embrace, extend, extinguish. Yes, that's the word. That's the phrase. So, but I think it's fair to say that that DOJ investigation succeeded in stopping. And here's the interesting point. It forced Microsoft to reassess, do the right thing, pivot, and actually become a stronger company under Satya Nadella with uh, web services. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think the the interesting thing there, I mean, obviously there were different scenarios. Um, I think that I've talked to people who, I mean, obviously this was decades before I worked at the company, right? And and so I, I don't and know I what should was say, happening then. You don't speak for the company in any respect. No, I don't. I, I don't no. speak for the company in any respect. Right, but right. but in, and this was decades before I worked there. But you know what the the circumstances with that? I think um, people that I've talked to who either were there then, and, and and some of them are still Microsoft, some of them aren't. You know what they've said is that it did maybe change like the nature and, and how things were focused the at the company and yeah. the culture. Yeah, but but it took a long time. There was a dark period after that investigation oh, yeah. where the company mm-hmm. did suffer oh, yeah. for a long time. Um, so I, I think you can look on, on the net of it that even though the the DOJ investigation was ultimately unsuccessful, like they. It, they, you know, Microsoft won an appeal. Um, it, they weren't broken up. There were some consent things and some changes that were made, but ultimately the government didn't win. Um, there were still, by going through that process, I think it, it's it'd be uh, it's impossible to say that there were, wasn't substantive impact on the company. Uh, but what's interesting is that although that I think you could look at it and say, well, see, this had a good impact. It also did during that period of time, if you look at like when, you know, the um, the appeals and all those things were happening was the exact same time that Google and Facebook were really starting to, to That's right. up and rise. You can make so, the case that if Microsoft hadn't been slapped down, Google and Facebook right. might not exist. Right. And, and so, you know, I'm not opposed to government intervention and I'm not opposed to there being regulations. I think that that's important. I do, I'm with you, I'm a little bit leery sometimes I think on just deferring to them because I don't think they understand the technology well enough. And and I do feel like sometimes some of these things that are interconnected to the point where, I mean, this is actually, I think, something that some of these companies, Facebook in particular, have learned from the Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, lawsuit stuff, is that the way that they've built their services together, it would be very difficult to break them apart in a traditional way. So... I'm, I'm in favor of more oversight and regulation um, if it's done the right way, but I'm also kind of leery about what impact it can actually have. I mean, if, if your goal is really just to slow down the business and make them have to reassess, then say that. Um, it, but, it, but if you're saying that your goal is to actually, you know, ha- make some sort of substantive change on, on a policy level, I, I guess I'm a little bit more cynical and skeptical that that's actually going to be achieved through through legislation. What do you think, Daniel? Can we learn anything from what the DOJ did with Microsoft? Is that any template for what could happen with Facebook? Would it work? This is a very, obviously, as you all pointed out, complicated problem. Yes. One that we've <laughs> predicted and seen even in dystopian movies like Blade Runner and Robocop, where we always see the runaway corporation that becomes so vital and crucial to the infrastructure and systems that it's almost impossible to displace it without taking down the entire system. 
And that's where these services are headed. I'm not sure we're there right now. You know, Facebook went down and as you pointed out, there were some ramifications from it, but it's not like we headed towards nuclear war. Uh, it was just very inconvenient. As far as you know, Daniel, as far as you as know. As far as we know, <laughs> right. Uh, but, you, you know, you're also right where traditionally government intervention would be the solution here. But as demonstrated this week, the government is quite, <laughs> at this point, incapable of understanding the technology. And it's it's easy to make fun of them for that. However, if you don't do this stuff full time, it is very difficult yeah. to understand all those the, those details. Um, I'm not really sure we where we go from here. I'm actually pretty down on this stuff because I don't see any obvious solutions to fixing this. You know, Dan pointed out you know correctly that there's no incentive here. You know, capitalism is an amoral system. So I always kind of chuckle when people say. You know, these companies are doing the wrong thing. It's like it, it, there is no wrong or right. The only wrong or right is internally is do they make money for their shareholders? That's that's literally all that matters. Uh, so it's a little weird to give moral lessons to Facebook who clearly don't care. And it's not in their charter to care. Well, but uh, in this respect, I, we are maybe making them care because it could impact their business. Right. So there is theory, a little bit of a right. of a stick that government and, and uh, the, the uh, Department of Justice can wield saying, well, what we, can, we can hurt you financially. And so if you're thinking long-term financial success, you might say, you know, maybe we should be a little bit better at what we do. Um, it's just historically I, where we come down to like fines for government from the government. Yeah, always been, these yeah. companies make so much money now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They just paid off. Yeah, look at the right. EU yeah, funds. Yeah, that, Google that was, pays that was 168 be my million. Big deal. You know, it's can, nothing. Can they financially hurt them? Is that no. possible? Like, I, how big of a right. fine do you have to leverage to get to a point where it is a major disruption? I mean, there was the whole thing about when the, you know, when Facebook went down for five hours and Mark Zuckerberg lost $7 billion. And everyone's like, boo-hoo, he's got $120 billion. <laughs> billion and he'll get it left. back. In fact, he probably has he'll already. He'll make it back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So can you hurt them? I don't know if you can. Yeah. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg's response to the testimony was very typical Facebook, which is a lot of hand-waving, misdirection, and ultimately Facebook says, yeah, regulate the internet, get rid of that section 230, we don't like that, which had nothing to do with this at all. He writes on Facebook, which I would, as you can see, I'm not um, logged in because I don't have a Facebook account, but I can kind of read what he's, you want to see more of Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook? No, no thank you, Uh, uh, no. He wrote, many of the claims don't make sense. Now, Mark is a smart guy. Went to Harvard. Maybe he didn't graduate. Okay. But he went to Harvard. He's a smart guy. If we wanted to ignore research, he says, why would we create an industry-leading research program to understand these important issues in the first place? Well, maybe you created it and then didn't like the answer. I ever think of that? Let me answer your question with a question. (laughs) (laughs) If we didn't care about fighting harmful content, why would we employ so many more people dedicated to this than any other company in our space? Why? I ask you. (laughs) If we wanted to hide our results, why would we have established an industry-leading standard? This I question. For transparency and reporting on what we're doing. What we know is Facebook is actively defeating the attempts 
from outside investigators like at NYU from seeing this material. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to release this material to the public. They were forced to by this whistleblower and even then only released a little bit of the research, not all of it. Yeah, that's the question, Mark. If you didn't care about understanding these issues, why would you create an industry-leading research group and then bury the results? If you, if you, and this is what I think Facebook ought to do. Now, I don't know if you can make them do this, sh- maybe shame them into doing this. They need to not only release the r- results of their research, but they have to open themselves to outside researchers. And then we all need to hear the results. And then we as a society can decide. If it does, in fact, turn out, Facebook kind of says, well, in 12 out of 13 points, young women feel better on Instagram. It's just that one thirteenth. And by the way, Francis yeah. Huggins said, do not buy this because only 10% of people who smoke die of cancer. It's still a problem. Okay? Yeah. And Facebook is really acting like big tobacco here. I don't think you oh, yeah. can shame them. I mean, that's the Maybe other thing. Not. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure yeah. there's any way to shame them. If they, again, Daniel reiterated, like, if it doesn't make money, that's the only thing that actually makes a difference to them. So I, I think I think they have shown they have no shame, and that is not a good way to leverage them. Uh, I also think that they've convinced themselves that they are acting morally and ethically in, in the right way and mm. that they have good intentions. Um I, I don't have as many friends who work at Facebook anymore as I used to, but I, I've known you know many people who've worked there. And, yes, yeah, very good people. That's the thing. Yes. And many of them, I, I mean, especially 2016, and that was when the public shift really started to happen. Uh, was was around 2016 and around a lot of the, the misinformation stuff when the stuff about Cambridge Analytica came out. You know, Myanmar, um, the election integrity stuff, and internally, a lot of the people that I knew who worked there had a really hard time with the public perception changing because many of them, and they're very moral people they're very upstanding people who were like no but we're we're trying to do good things you know we we have good intentions and 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 they had a really hard time with i think dealing with like the uh uh the disconnect between the public perception or the growing public perception and and what their uh internal uh, view of themselves were uh and and so even now i still feel like most people who work there especially the executives a i don't think they can be shamed but b i think that they They've convinced themselves that no, we're we're doing the right things, and and the way that we're going about these things is is for the good of everyone. Yes, of course, it makes us money, but but we're we're on the the straight and narrow. So, uh, trying to convince them, you know, I mean, if genocide hasn't been enough to to convince them, to say, hey, maybe we need to take a serious look at how our platform is being used. I'm not sure if if the health of teenage girls is is going to move the Let, needle. You know, I think course- that's a that's a really good point with the institutions in terms of institutional memory and how things operate. We have to think of even some of the worst dictatorships in the world. They weren't, they didn't think they were doing evil. Like you have to understand that like those people doing those things thought they were doing the right thing. So shaming people at Facebook is really not going to change anything because they do, they have to believe that what they are doing is the right thing and appropriate thing. Uh, I think the most that's going to come out of this, we'll probably see like, government commercials and ads talking about your kids and don't let them on Facebook for too long. I think it's going to be like the anti-smoking campaign. Uh, And I don't think it's until the system gets fundamentally changed and turning governance of how corporations are run. uh, I don't think any of this is actually going to affect Facebook uh, in the long term. We haven't seen it in their stocks. We haven't seen it in the user base. They're kind of impervious. And most governments are, you know, 
too shy to actually do anything. And the, the most worrisome thing I saw in that 60 Minutes interview was about how the best uh, moderation happens in the United States, but the rest of the world, especially in emerging and developing too many countries, languages. they can't. And they don't have like almost any moderation. They're like, it's absolutely yeah. just yeah. just no. horrendous the stuff that gets posted there. And it's just like that's the world we're building, and that's very very frightening. Yeah, if they're, if they're going to lose out anywhere, I think there's a very long term thing where their their user base tends to be older on average. I think, and that's part of the reason they acquired things like Instagram and WhatsApp, right, to expand beyond just the core Facebook. Because we've seen, you know, most kids today teens, et cetera, they're not spending time on Facebook. They spend time on TikTok or something more like that, right? So their their user base will age out eventually, but they're also so huge at this point that they're going to just keep going for a really long time, regardless of whether or not that's where the place where people are going or not, because it takes a long time to run out of the billions of dollars they have. The other thing I would add, and I'm, I'm sincere when I say this, while, while I acknowledge the issues, is that it isn't I don't think it's fair to blame technology, big tech, social media for our own flaws. And it, it, this doesn't come out of Facebook. Facebook is a, ref, a mirror of the world. It maybe is an amplifier. I think you make a case that it amplifies. But really the problem, the polarization, the, the issues with climate denial, all of the problems we have in this world are created by people, not by big tech. I think that's true, but I think that the important distinction here, and, and this is what I think you know, Francis Hogan was kind of uh, talking about, and, and what's important is that when they change their algorithms to juice things for engagement and for a reaction, and when they determine what content they're going to show you and what content they're going to amplify. And, you know, it all started when they got rid of the reverse, you know, kind of timeline and and they started to show things algorithmically. And when they make the decisions about what types of content they're going to bubble up and and, uh, show and what they're going to really try to get people to engage the most with because they know they'll spend more time on the site, then I do think it changes things a little bit. And, And you're right, these are human problems, but we haven't had this situation before. And that's why there aren't, you know, direct parallels that we can make with things that have happened in the past obviously mass media has existed you know for at this point hundreds of years and people and, and by the way changed it. said the same thing and i remember it very well about tv i mean this is this yes this you know tv is destroying our is, youth right right but the difference is we haven't had to this point you haven't had tv where there it's been algorithmically determined and, and it's changing with online tv now but where it's where you know the content that you see has been chosen based on what will keep you watching and what will make you engage the most and that and when psychologically they know that the things that make you angry are things that will or polarize you are things that will keep you engaged the longest that i think is the difference you know you've had people who would program content and would put you know you know that's the whole story of, of talk radio and, and get people to have a reaction but mm-hmm. when the, look the what happened to talk you, radio as soon as they discovered that talk radio right, turned and, into a cesspool 100% and that went along with uh, in the government deregulation in terms of ownership of, mm-hmm. of, of airwaves and, and, and um, loosening restrictions in terms of what sort of content could be on the radio and, and whatnot. Uh, so that went a lot into it. But I think that the, the interesting thing is if this were all stuff that was organically being displayed to people, I would have an easier time with that argument that yeah. this is just a, a human problem. But it's not organically decided. It's al- al- algorithmically determined in a way for people to be the most incensed and engaged and spend the most amount of time and on the is, site. 
This is doing what Daniel was saying. This is optimizing right. for profit. In fact, that's what Francis Haugen said. They prefer profit over exactly. people. And that's what algorithms do. Unless you tune the algorithm to do something else. But why would you? You're a business. We're going to tune the algorithm mm-hmm. to increase engagement to yep. make more money. Period. And you see what happens on YouTube? You see what happens on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Yes. It radicalizes people. So it's I, a dangerous I agree system we're that. setting up. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have like, you can't have unlimited growth for companies, even though that's what the stock market wants and believes in. And, you know, you, and then even if you get into regulation, it's like, what do you regulate good behavior? Who determines that? Yeah, how, you, how do you enforce that sure, kind of yeah. thing? Who determines what good is? But these systems are built, you know, you're right. They, they are mirrors of our own actions, but those algorithms do happen to, you know, the human brain They're is funhouse mirrors, aren't they? Flawed. They yeah. just, yep. they take yeah. us and they distort the worst of us. Uh, and with that, with the result, I want to actually talk about algorithms because there is, there's an example of algorithms that nobody's paying any attention to that could be worse, actually worse. We got a great panel. I want to take a break right now because we we're half an hour in. I want to introduce again, a fabulous panel, Daniel Rubino for Windows Central. Yes, we'll get to Windows 11. That's, that's why Daniel's here. Dan Morin on the Mac side from SixColors.com. Yes, we'll talk about the iPhone 13. That's why Dan's here. And, of course, Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate about micro, for Microsoft. Yes, we will talk about Animal Crossing and sneakers. That's why Christina is here. That's why I'm here. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> A really great panel. Our show today brought to you by Stamps.com. You know... There are all sorts of challenges to being a small business. I have in, become intimately acquainted with all of them. One of them is, where's the stamps? Who has the stamps? We got we to gotta mail a package. How are we going to do that? Stamps.com solved that for us more than a decade ago. And I don't know if you have a small business. I don't know why you would do anything else. Look, I love the post office, but the last thing I want to do is go down. We used to send people down to the post office to wait in line. That is just expensive and senseless when you can do everything you want to do at the post office from your computer, your printer. You don't need a postage meter. You just need stamps.com. You'll even save money. You'll send packages and letters for less with discounted rates. And by the way, this is really good news. It's not just the U.S. Postal Service. Now stamps.com does UPS as well. So... Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for more than a million businesses. They bring the services of the U.S. Postal Service and now UPS right to you and your computer. If you are an Etsy seller, an Amazon or eBay seller, if you send out brochures or bills, anything you do... Stamps.com can make it easier. It, f- it fills in the address from your software automatically. It fills in the return address from your address book. It even prints your company logo. It'll even do it right on the envelope. You don't need stamps at all. You don't need a postage meter. You can mail any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And man, the discounts, I got to tell you. No, you save money on postage from the U.S. Postal Service. Stamps.com has been a partner of Twit for 10 years now. If you haven't tried them yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. I've been telling you about this for a decade. Cut the confusion out of shipping. Stamps.com has a new rate advisor tool, which is great because you can use it with both UPS and USPS to figure out what's the best way to ship, what the timelines are. And I, I just love it. You'll save time. You'll save money with Stamps.com. And you know what? We've got a deal for you that is completely risk-free. If you go to stamps.com, there's a microphone at the top of the page. Click that. Type in TWIT. You'll get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial. 
You get free postage. You get a USB scale, which is real. Oh, it's nice. You don't have to click a page. You just type into it right next to the microphone now. That's great. You'll get that USB scale, which makes it so that it's always, you always know how much. Just go to stamps.com. Type in Twit at the top of the homepage and try our offer. It is a great deal, including $55 in postage coupons that you can use over the next few months, saving you even more. I just think it's a fantastic deal. No long-term commitments, no contracts. Stamps.com. Use the promo code TWIT, T-W-I-T. Never go to the post office again. Unless you want to say hi. Because you know what? I love our postal carrier. I like God stopping and saying hi. But I don't have to wait in line anymore to do that. I just say hi and, and open my postage box and go home. Stamps.com. You're going to love it. And we thank Stamps.com for long-time supporting TWIT. I have mixed feelings about this because... Um, as it turns out, I know a good many people who are doing very well on TikTok, including my son, Hank, who's about ready to get to a million subscribers. He's doing, wow. he's, yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. That's I know. amazing. I can't, I can't knock it. He's also wow. really big on Instagram, so I shouldn't knock either. But when you talk about algorithmic, and I know this from, from talking to my son, nobody does it better than TikTok, right? No, no, they're the best. They're the they're best. That's their, that's their value. Yeah. And yeah. mm-hmm. he spends a lot of energy thinking, looking and analyzing, okay, it was too long. It didn't get to this fast enough. I need more juicy hamburgers. <laughs> I mean, he knows it. he's become a master of the algorithm. I tell him, you know, careful, because if, you, if you're making your living on TikTok, they could pull the plug at any time. There's a great article on The Atlantic this week by Eve- Evelyn Dulick. One billion TikTok users understand what Congress doesn't. The video sharing app avoids scrutiny because politicians don't take it seriously. And yet, (laughs) talk about algorithm. It's benign at this point, but at any point, TikTok could, I don't know what. I mean, isn't everything we just said about Facebook and YouTube double for TikTok? Christina, do you use it? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I'm not on TikTok, but I use it all the time. Absolutely. Actually, that's one benefit. You do not have, unlike what you just saw with Facebook, I can go look at my son's site without, uh, right. without joining. I mean, I have an account. I, I mean, I have an account, but like, I don't, I don't post content. Um, I, I, I'm thinking about it, but I, I haven't yeah. jumped into that, yeah. into that realm. Um, but, but which actually I think is what's interesting about TikTok versus the other social networks is that it's one of the few, obviously there are some people who have personalities and who people can follow the multiple places, but it's, fundamentally not connected to who you know in real life it's you know what i mean like like your social graph is is well, your, is, is about interest and that's right? another like thing i've noticed i follow obviously i follow my son on tiktok so right. tiktok you have two tabs the for you page which is their out al- pure algorithmic and then i thought following which would be non-algorithmic i have yet to see henry's videos and following even though i'm following him and i think it's very it's just as algorithmic as a for you page they still show you what they think you're going to want to see. And for some reason, they think I want to see a lot of bikini-clad young women. I don't know why that is. Yes. It's certainly nothing I did. Uh, but that. But he does food videos. And I bet you if you if you were interested in a lot of food stuff, you'd see his stuff. I mean, he must be. Because he's got he, this video has 43, 41 million views, right? You can get really kind of like my girlfriend uses it religiously. But then she'll like start going down the rabbit hole like... 
cancer information. Not that she has cancer, but she's just curious. And the next thing you know, all, all cancer, all the time. Cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I need it to stop. She's like, I don't want to. It's depressing. I don't want to know all of this. And so that is the problem with the algorithm uh, in the sense of what you're looking for. And it does become sort of your online personality. But then you can just delete the account and start over. Well, the only thing TikTok is optimizing for at this point, it seems to be, is entertainment. They just they have the perfect feedback right. loop. They know exactly how long it took before you swiped up to the next video. Exactly. And they just go, oh, you spent 23 seconds there? We'll give you more like that. Four seconds there, less like that. And it completely can be automatic. I doubt there's human intervention, although they get... They occasionally will get hit. They, they apparently, if you were fat, they weren't showing your videos for a while. Um, I think there's human intervention because Henry just started taking a sponsor for the first time, and I notice anywhere where he shows a product placement, it's a spice, and he shows it briefly, like a second, the, no, the one tenth number of views. So I think that they are somehow algorithmically saying, no, 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 that don't we don't we want to make our money, not his money. And so they they don't promote that as much. But you you can see immediately the effect of the algorithm very directly. They're doing it benignly, though. Like nobody's complaining. I'm not seeing. I imagine. I guess it's, if you followed Donald Trump, you'd see a lot of Trump videos. I don't know. Is there an argument? Yeah, I mean, that it's they, just they, like. I just wondered if it was by. I mean, how much of this is by chance? I mean, I, I don't think entirely, obviously, but there does seem to be almost a more of a virtuous cycle there in terms of like if positive content is the stuff that bubbles to the top and far as TikTok goes, then maybe that helps reinforce that as opposed to something like Facebook, which seems to thrive on the negative content. And it could have just as easily gone the other way, but for some reason. Oh, that's a good point. They could uh, be doing outrage. They're not optimizing for outrage. They're optimizing for fun engage for enjoyment Engagement. which is the flip side <laughs> not yet. yeah right not to say that couldn't change and that they, <laughs> again i'm not sure how much of that is just by chance as opposed to something that they like hit upon but yeah it's really interesting i just uh i mean it's funny because i shouldn't say they've not been scrutinized uh last year under under president trump he wanted to force him to sell in fact, right. there's a Satya Nadella talking at uh, at the uh, Code Conference with Kara Swisher said that was an interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> what did your boss say, Christina? Autumn. Yeah, it was like it was an odd autumn, and he said they did. He said we didn't go to them; they came to us, uh, which I thought was we never knew the details of this, but we knew that. Microsoft was in the running to buy TikTok. They came right. to us. We thought it was weird, but then we thought, well, you know, social graph, billions of users. In fact, TikTok this past week uh, beat YouTube in the amount of time people spend watching videos on TikTok. So really the good engagement. fastest to one billion users too, yep. right? Really yep. good engagement. So I understand Sacha said, well, I guess, <laughs> maybe. But then all of a sudden, no, no, it's going to be Oracle and Walmart. Right. And Sanchez said, they just ghosted us. He said, that was it. We didn't hear from him again. And then, of course, the president ghosted that and nothing happened and it's over. And I guess President Biden has said, well, we're going to look into it, but nothing's come of it. Right, right. I mean, the whole way that happened was just so bizarre. Uh, obviously, like, uh, I learned the same way everybody else learned whatever details had happened on the Microsoft side from, from that code interview. But the whole thing always seemed sketch. And then it was like, as soon as, you know, um, they made like the Oracle Walmart thing, but then nothing happened. Then, you know, Trump lost the election. And it was like, oh, well, 
guess that's not happening. It's know? over. And, and it's over. You know, the, the executives, like, guy had left Disney to go to TikTok. Then he had to leave because he was like, hey, I wasn't even part of these conversations. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm supposed to be the CEO of the U.S. version of the company. No one tells me anything. So I have to quit, clearly. <laughs> you know, like, the whole thing was just bizarre. It was like, okay, well, we're, we're going to, like, come up with this weird. And, and, and even, like, the Oracle Walmart thing was like, well, we might have data sovereignty, but we might not. The algorithm and, and those things might still be owned by China. It, the whole thing was just so insane. Like, to think about that, that, that was a year ago, and that that was like an actual reality thing. The thing that actually happened was that a government tried to force, you know, private sh- businesses to, to buy. Uh, I should point out, oh, and yeah, and crazy. let's not forget that uh, Trump wanted a key fee. He said, and you're going to give me some of that money. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, and I'm, 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 I'm going to get a, um, a, a vig on this. Thank and you. You want know, a little vig. They call it, a, in real estate, New York real estate, they call it a key fee. You get a little a little something, something for introducing uh, somebody, to a realtor to the buyer. You get a little key fee. Um, actually, just, just, in the just interim. Just right at Republicans. Pardon oh, me? Sorry, I was going to say, I just thought it was weird that Republicans were like, yeah, the government should step in, force yes. the sale of a company <laughs> to right. American that's, companies. That's who we've always way, been. Capitalism is <laughs> the best system in the world. Yeah. And right. It, it was just but so bizarre. I point out, on here. in their defense, they might have been right because in the time since, just last month, Beijing took a big, forced a big investment in Tencent, their parent company, uh, or I'm sorry, ByteDance, and they got a board seat on ByteDance. So all of a sudden, the Chinese Communist Party is kind of in the front door of TikTok. Well, yeah, but we've known that. Yeah, they I mean, know if, state if you're capitals. a major, if, if yeah. you're a major company in China, China is involved. Like that's that's how that works. Like I, I don't think yeah. that's controversial to say that if, that if you are a, a Chinese based company and you make lots of money, the Chinese Communist Party is deeply involved in your business. Yeah, the information mm-hmm. reported that China had quietly taken an equity stake. In bite dance, they didn't say they bought an equity stake. No, they just took it. <laughs> they, took they took an it. equity. That's ours now. Yeah, we'll no. take a. That's we'll take thirty percent. That's all. That's good enough for but Apple. Have you seen the Chinese Communist Party's TikToks? Because they're really. You know, I, <laughs> I was going to say they're really good. They're the are they on TikTok? They're really. No. I don't think so. Actually, the only the, probably I think the Chinese government should be censoring TikTok because the only. Chinese TikToks I see are of horrific manufacturing facilities in China. Well, the, the one I most recently saw is a sock factory where all the all the people on the assembly line oh, yeah. are, have their hands resting on their face, face resting on their hands while they put socks on sock molds. It looks horrible. That's what they should be censoring. Yeah. <laughs> They're not apparently. Oh, I'm sure they do oh. in China. I'm no. sure. In China, oh, in China they do. Yeah, we know they yeah. censor yeah. Hong Kong content. Uh, so it, not not the worst Tiananmen thing happening Square. in China by yeah, any chance. All right, so. okay. Yeah, this is the quote. Sachin Nadella told Kara Swisher the failed Tic Tac Talks, which is hard to say, the Tic Tac Talks were the strangest, <laughs> there was the strangest thing I ever worked on, which is probably saying a lot. I imagine Mr. Nadella's worked on some other strange things. <laughs> um he says, I was intrigued. It's a great property. Everybody's seen the growth and what have you. The rest is history. Um, there was a period of time when I felt the U.S. government had some particular set of requirements, and then they just disappeared. Boom. It's over. 
bye bye. Anyway, I don't want to knock TikTok because, like I said, my son probably is going to make his living as a t- <laughs> TikTok. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't, uh, shouldn't knock it. But and and to be honest, there's an example of algorithm, I guess, done right. Right? I mean, it's the TikTok is so engaging. If you watch it for more than a few, have you, okay, admit it, Christina, you've seen this video. If you watch it for too long, a guy comes on and says, "Stop." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You've seen it, right? He says, have a drink. Go get something to eat. Stop. You, you've been way too long on TikTok, which I think is hysterical. I see that every yeah, night. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very engaging platform. Uh, they've, they've completely perfected what started, you know, with, with earlier social networks. Musical.ly. And it is Were scary. you on Musical.ly? Music- Did you use Musical.ly at first? I mean, I, I was aware of it. I, yeah. I didn't use it. I it was mean, lip syncing. Thirteen year old. Exactly. It was. It, it was. It yeah. was small children lip syncing. Yes. Actually, it was really Singing problematic their in a lot hair of ways. Brushes. Yeah, yeah. It, it was actually really problematic in a lot of ways, and it, and it uh, attracted a um, oh. an improper element. Oh yeah. I didn't think of yeah, that. They, oh yeah. There there was there was a whole. Oh yeah. So I was aware of it because you know I worked at Mashable and we covered those sorts of things, but I wasn't on it. It was shocking to me when it rebranded and then it became so big. Um, and. You know, and and they executed to their credit. They executed hardcore, right? Because a lot of it isn't fundamentally that different than Vine, except the execution. And and I also I think the moment in time was different. And the algorithm that for you is just so good. You know, that for you right. page is just incredibly powerful. And it is kind of scary. You know, I don't know what the solution is, but it does show you like, okay, you take what Facebook and 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 Twitter and Instagram and and some of these earlier services started doing. You know, fifteen years ago. And now this is, you know, taking those learnings, but, but better and more modern and, and using better technology behind it and with, with an audience that uh, largely has never grown up without this stuff. And so it's um, it, right now, as Daniel was kind of saying, like, this stuff seems to be good, but it, it could have just as easily gone bad and it could just as easily go bad, right? Like if, if, if ByteDance decided to make changes to their algorithm and wasn't about like, you know, joy, showing joyous joy, exactly. Uh, if, if they're showing, okay, well, you know what? People are bored being happy, you know, it, or whatnot. And I'm sure that there's some people whose TikToks, because that's the interesting thing about TikTok. Everyone's TikTok is different. It's based on your interests and what you right. like. I'm sure there are plenty of people who the stuff they see and engage with is not pleasant stuff and, and is more outrage based. And if that became more of the norm, I mean, gosh, that's, uh, or, or more propaganda-based or more anything. Well, there is you know, one example. Uh, the the uh, middle-aged housewife who said, let's all buy tickets to the Trump rally and not show up. Right. In fact, some say that's why the president at the time wanted to uh, kill TikTok. Ban them. Yeah, no, that was the rumor. Yeah, no, and that was hilarious because that went viral because they had the free thing. And everybody, I mean, it was a great troll. And, and the they Trump thought that they had 100,000 people. Thought millions would show up at the rally. They had an outdoor event area set up because they expected so many people and nobody showed up. Uh, it was a Her, great Her, Herman Cain. Herman Cain still got COVID. He still died. He died because of that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, but uh, that was an example of TikTok being used politically, probably grassroots. I doubt it was the Chinese government that did that. But still. oh no, exactly. But, but but I mean, and that's actually an interesting thing to think about. Like if governments or if propaganda forces or if other things really wanted to use these, and I'm they not even talking about the US per se. That's they what I'm saying. Mess I mean, with us. 
I'm not even thinking the U.S. per se, but like look at what happened in Myanmar, right? Like what yeah. happened there was the government figured out that we can use the power Facebook. of Facebook and this yeah. information and we can spread this and we can create this outrage. And, and you've seen similar things happen in India, which then becomes ironic that the Indian government are being well, such fascists about But this is speech, an example because it's WhatsApp. Which is private yeah. messaging and is being used in some horrific ways in India and other countries. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. But what do you do about that? That's private messaging. What are you saying? Should Should Facebook read every WhatsApp message? No, of course not. No. If anything, you know, they're 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 trying to. I mean, what, that's one of the reasons I think that they're so in favor of of encryption. They don't want the responsibility, right. which I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, AT&T, it's not like you could sue the phone company back when, when AT&T was the only phone system. You couldn't sue them for, you know, um, the way people use the phones. You now, still were- can't sue p- common carriers for what happens on the common carrier. You cannot sue a phone company right. because people planned it, you know, the 9-11 attack over the phone. Exactly. They're not responsible for that. Right. Is right. face- so really, the problem with Facebook is we don't know what it is. Is it a common carrier? Is it a platform? Or is it a media company? If it's a media company, if it's a Fox News or an OANN or an MSNBC, you, then First Amendment says you can't do anything about it because they're expressing a, a point of view that's, that's protected by the First Amendment. If they're a social platform that says, no, no, we're not going to put the finger, our thumbs on the scale. We just want to connect you with your family members and your loved ones and your high school sweetheart. Th- then that's fine. That's harmless. There's no... Until terrible things happen. It, right. And well, they kind of skate yeah. because of that whole point. That they're right in between, the, aren't they? Right. Because yeah, they, they don't... Yeah. Like, so even on, the, even on the First Amendment side, there are limits to what you can do yes. under the First Amendment. Speech, you know, is not entirely free, but because we don't regulate them as that, and then the whole section... Now we're verging back into Section 230. I don't think there's is, much... Uh, the government has not done much to uh, correct Fox News for COVID misinformation, for instance. Sure, right. You, they no, can get no, sued, but, 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 but there, there are, are there are lawsuits. limits are the limits do exist, but they're right. not. I yes. mean, the bar is high. Yeah, as it should be. As, as it, should, it, be. As it no. should be. Agreed. So this is I, maybe that is maybe there's you're, that's an interesting choice of words, Daniel Rubino. That they're skating, they're they're getting by by pretending to be. A media company when it's convenient, pretending to be a social yeah. network when it's convenient. That's always been their MO, right? Is, is that's always been the essential question. Are they a platform or are they a publisher? That's always been like yep. the essential question. And the they're a little bit like, of both. Well, yes. Yeah. And they are. Yeah, and and they are what they <laughs> they are what they are when it's convenient. I think that where it becomes, I think where even their common carrier stuff, WhatsApp I think is an easy common carrier argument to I make, agree. although that would open up the regulation. I think WhatsApp is very easy to make that. I think Facebook and Instagram are different because it does determine they have a role in, in their algorithms and in their policies and their procedures on what you see and how you see it and what is uplifted well, and what is not. And what, they also let you pay to amplify things, right? Like you can do, you know, promoted posts which is a right. huge part of how people see content. And that's a huge part of their business. Right. And so that, to me, then takes the, the common carrier element out of it for those platforms because they are a publisher in those senses. You know, even Yeah, it's not, not like the phone company said, hey, I think you'd be interested right. in some more terrorist phone calls. Would you like those? Exactly. <laughs> they don't do that. They are a pure platform. Um, yeah, it's really an interesting. Uh, you know, this, we've the, never the, seen the anything like this warfare? before. The information warfare potential with this stuff is just truly frightening. As governments become more aware of how you can weaponize this technology, like having a phone was one thing, but it's not like 
you know, China all of a sudden started calling everybody's phone in the United States and being like, you know, the president is bad or something like right. that. Like, technically, that no, we do that internally. We don't need China to help. <laughs> right, right. But like that, that didn't happen. But now with these apps and services, as soon as countries and governments figure out how they can weaponize this stuff, it becomes uh, very dangerous how they can sort of manipulate the algorithm to show content, whether wow. to their own people in their country or other people that's the in case ben thompson makes on stratechery is congress is not going to regulate facebook because it's too useful to individual members of congress for their own right. benefit oh yeah so you're never going to see regulation because governments he says that's the thing to really fear as you say daniel that's the thing to really fear once governments get savvy enough to say oh we can use this that's what happened uh, in Hitler's Germany. Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister, said the new medium, this new medium of radio, this is really useful. We can really use this. And they did to great effect. Now you've scared me. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really worried. It is frightening. We haven't seen yeah. anything yet, in other words. Yep. All right, let's take a break. Windows 11 is here. Something a little lighter. We're all going to we're all going to jump <laughs> through it. We're going to jump through a painting and do a little tap dancing when we come back. Daniel Rubino actually wanted to jump through the window. He's ready to <laughs> jump through his surface Metaphor. into the into the sand trap that is Windows 11. We're doing that in a second uh, when we continue. Um, but first, a word from our sponsor. Our show today uh, brought to you by Checkout.com. Uh, text should not stifle innovation, right? We can agree on that. Unfortunately, tech sometimes does, but especially when it comes to, this is the pain point in e-commerce, payment systems. Oy, traditional payment systems, heavily layered, disconnected. Businesses look at them as a cost center. They know it could be done better, but how? Well, checkout.com. Modern businesses need flexible payment systems that can help them adapt to change, to grow and scale fast. Uh, I, you know, I just found out, I... I think checkout is one of those things that you're using without knowing it, right? They have a tech that approaches payments with a radical new lens. Checkout.com partnered with Oxford Economics. They conducted an end-to-end -end analysis of the payments value chain for merchants. What you, like one of the big pain points, false declines. It happens to me all the time. I don't know why. I'll, I'll try to buy something and say, nope. It costs U.S., U.K., French, and German markets $20.3 billion. $12.7 billion went to competitors, but, but a horrible $7.6 billion entirely written off, lost forever. The study found that merchants aren't currently optimizing the consumer's, I like how they put this, significant willingness to pay. I am willing to pay. I'm here. Take my money for speed, for convenience, and security online. Take my money. And they get declined? Come on. The majority of merchants surveyed do not feel their payments data is informing their business strategy or their innovation. And by the way, when you talk to customers, more than half said they won't return to a site because the site doesn't offer their preferred payment method. Most merchants spend more than 10% of their payments budgets fixing disputes, fraud, outages, CEOs in this survey said, you know, oh, we like, we think the quality of data is great. Nope, they overestimate the quality of data returned by payment providers. CEOs underestimate the extent to which disconnected payments are hindering growth. 
And when merchants focus on the per-transaction costs of their payments, they're missing a very important point, back-end costs. That's why I want you to check out Checkout.com. It's a leading cloud-based global payment solution provider. Checkout's payment platform is purpose-built with performance, scalability, and speed in mind. It's great for merchants looking to seamlessly integrate better payment solutions globally. Here's what you get with Checkout.com. Improved acceptance, hallelujah, globally. Better and more actionable granular data. So when it doesn't work, you'll know. When payments don't go through, you'll know and you'll see why. And so you can fix it. A flexible product structure that you can adapt to your needs. And I have to tell you, completely personal white glove service. So I think I've been using Checkout.com. If you've been to Pizza Hut, you've used it. Klarna, Revolut, Samsung. Yep, Checkout.com. Learn how to optimize your authorization rates with Checkout's free guide to better payments performance. It's got lots of expert advice and merchant insights to fast-track your path to unrivaled payments performance. Who wouldn't want that? It's free. You get a no-commitment demo. Checkout.com slash twit. Checkout.com slash T-W-I-T for a free demo. Checkout.com slash twit. Unrivaled payment performance. They're on your side. And actually, you know what? They're on our side, too. It's good for everyone. Checkout.com slash twit. Welcome, Checkout, to the Twit family. Thanks for your support. Thanks to all of you for supporting us by going to that site, checkout.com slash twit. If you watch the Major League Baseball playoffs, if you watch NFL football, you cannot miss this kooky, and forgive me, Christina, for saying it, kooky Microsoft Windows 11 ad. <laughs> It's kooky. That's all I can say. It is. Uh, it's pretty. That, that it's artsy. It brings you closer to the things you love. That's the tagline, huh? Oh, I love Master Chief. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Windows 11 came out on October 5th. That was a Tuesday. To, I can't... It, it wasn't like Windows 95, start me up. It wasn't even like Windows 7. There were, you know, no parties celebrating the arrival of Windows 11. It kind of just... I mean, and there was no hummingbird, I might add, either. Um, Daniel, was Windows 11 a big deal this week? Uh, you know, the, the idea of an operating system being updated, I think, is just not a big deal anymore. Uh, Apple has kind of proven this point by every year. They do it every it, year. Almost. Yeah. yeah, and Android got on in on that as well. And people are just so used to probably sick of operating system updates that this is not really a big deal in that sense. Not where, you know, Windows 95 was big because the computers were still pretty new, but that was right at the point where they were starting to get big. And that's right also, you know, Windows 95, its core feature was about the internet, right? And that's where, and there was so much potential around that. And this is going to allow you to get on the internet easier because it was pretty difficult and weird at that point to get on the internet. Uh, so it doesn't quite have that impact after all. It's like it, you, you know, were saying about refresh. phones, right? We've reached peak operating yeah. systems. What are you going to do right, that's right. going to be so different? Exactly. So, sure, it, it, they updated the UI. It looks more modern and fresher. They did a lot of optimizations. It's built around more security, which I think is really bigger story that people don't like talking about because security it, is boring. When you say that, is that the TPM requirement, the TPM 2.0 requirement, or is there other? Uh, that, as well as the modern processors. Uh, you you know, have to have eighth generation or later. Exe yeah, execution exploits. You know, the idea here, 
I would say Windows has a couple problems in terms of image, right? One of them is stability. Uh, another one is security. And the other one's complexity. So this update addresses all that stuff. When it comes to security, yeah, now it requires TPM. It requires modern processors, uh, stuff on the motherboard that helps uh, prevent injection between when the operating system is actually booting up. Right. And Secure that's boring, boot. and yeah. sometimes it angers people. But it's super important when we're getting to different types of malware and, you know, hijacking people's computers. Uh, it's it's very important for them to address that. After all, I've seen a lot of Google Chrome commercials for Chromebook where they're like, you don't need a virus scanner. Yeah, you same know? thing. Because it's still, yeah, yeah, it's still fun to go after Microsoft for security. Right. Uh, same thing when it comes to stability, right? Blue screen of death is hilarious because it's it's a cultural meme we, at this we point, all know which it. is insane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... When, when you look at the numbers between the, um, you know, going by what Microsoft says, right, that uh, 99% of the computers ru- with the modern hardware running Windows 11 have a crash-free experience. And that's the way it should be. But they can't no, do that. They say yeah. 99%, but they didn't Kernel say crashing. what that number was for Windows 10. Could it have been 98.9%? Uh, yeah, it could have probably wasn't. Okay. <laughs> I think is okay. the point. <laughs> okay. uh, it, w- Windows 11 is if you're running it on the you know approved or recommended hardware, it's more reliable. It's very stable. Okay. I, I would been, actually argue, and that's it's been stable yeah. for a while though. Windows 10 was is all, I mean the blue screen of death sure kind of went away right mostly. Yeah, it was still kind of there. They were supporting a lot of very old hardware with Windows 10, well, and now they're yeah. actually making that demarcation. That's one way to get rid of them. Yeah. Stop supporting core and, duos. Yeah, right. um, and I would say also that's kind of the other story this week, which was it was kind of boring because not because there weren't celebrations, because I didn't have to write a bunch of stories talking about this is broken, this right. is crashed, this isn't working for people. Sure, there's the AMD story, oh, you know, a 3 to 5% maybe reduction in performance on very specific applications and maybe in gaming, and that's going to be fixed in a couple of weeks. But that's that's not the same as people's, you know, computers being wiped or losing uh, data, things being locked out or crashing. Like, it's actually been a boring week in terms of major bugs with Windows 11, which I think speaks to all this work that they put into making Windows a little bit more modern. That's actually a little surprising uh, because the beta uh, releases were somewhat buggy. I think Paul Therat was saying, I'm worried that this Windows 11 release is premature. But It had a major bug just a couple weeks ago that was took away people's start uh, the (laughs) taskbar. You couldn't do it. It's not good. Right. But we haven't seen anything like that uh, this week. No. That's good news. Nope. The, tell me yeah, about the Ryzen. It, tell me about the Ryzen issue. Who does that affect? So this is very, you know. First of all, AMD users are still a minority of users in general, uh, so it's a certain percentage of them, and the effect appears to be a three, maybe three to five percent, less than three to five percent reduction in performance in specific applications slash some games. And why? That's it. Do we know why? It has to do with the L3 memory. It has to do with memory and the architecture of AMD's chips. Um, it's going to be addressed in a couple of weeks, apparently. Uh, so, it's, But it's not a security vulnerability. Most people aren't going to notice it. It's just, I think, a more of a tidying up kind of bug. It's surprising they missed it during the, the beta you know, testing period. 
Uh, so I'm sure people will go back and look at what happened. Only reason I'm asking is because I run a Ryzen 5900 on my home computer. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Actually, and well, I have a hardcore gamer who streams on Twitch. You yeah. may want to hold back. Yeah. So. No, I notice a little. I don't notice any difference. Uh, it seems the same. But I'm playing Valheim, which is not yeah. exactly the most challenging game there ever. Uh, and, and I stream it on Twitch. And uh, thanks to the big Twitch breach, I'm streaming to a lot more people than ever before. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, okay. So, Christina, did you put Windows 11 on your brand new framework or did you put Windows 10 on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've been running 11 since um, I've been I've been on internal stuff, I guess, since like May. And um, you're the yeah, insider's I, I, insider. You're really insider. Yeah. 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 Um, um, and obviously I haven't worked on, on the, on the product or anything, but I have, I was just as a disclosure, I was involved with the, um, developer launch event that happened back in June. And, um, and I have great respect for, for the windows team, but I don't, I don't work on windows, but yeah, no, I've, I've been running it, I guess for, yeah, almost six months at this point. And, um, I love it. Like I love the, the UI changes, you know, it was interesting going through like the dev process and seeing how things were being added back and, and how, you know, more features were being refined. Um, obviously this is still, I think just kind of like a, you know, a work in progress, kind of like windows 10 didn't come. Like there were all you know, software is, that's the new At this thing. Point, yeah. No software ships done. And this started with yeah, gaming. Right. It started with actually uh, Mary Jo Foley said no. It started with Google, with Gmail, which was in beta for a decade. <laughs> Software right. isn't done anymore. It ships, and then there are many, many patches over a period of time as it gets better and better. But le- eleven seems fairly stable. I think it's beautiful. I have to say, I love the look. I like it. I, I don't the mind look. the cent- the centered menu. Um, they they need to do a little work, and I'm sure will on the start menu. Uh, the the recent thing is a little, or whatever they call it, recommend is a little big, but there's little things like that, and I'm sure Stardock will allow you to tweak it. Jim Salter, and you would expect this from Jim in Ars Technica, says the best part of Windows 11, Linux, WSL2, <laughs> absolutely. No, but, but WSL2 is amazing. Like, with, also, but, but a huge part of this, Windows Terminal is now installed by default. Oh, and that's, that's so much better app. terminal than the old CMD terminal. This is so it, much. No, but, but but it's so good. But also, <laughs> installing um, WSL is super easy now. You just type in WSL dash dash install, Woo-hoo! and it enables everything for you. So even getting that enabled now is super easy. It's it's easy to get uh, the the Windows Package Manager installed, which is basically like. The, the Windows version of Homebrew, essentially. Oh, so I don't um, need to use chocolate any, any, chocolatey anymore. There's a package manager. I mean, you still manager. can, you, you still, but there is a package manager. And what's cool about it is it's actually tied not to the Windows Store, but also non-Windows Store apps can be packaged that way too. But you can install, I mean, it's it's in a lot of ways a, just a CLI for the for the Windows Store, but also for other things that want to package that way. Chocolatey still has some advantages for certain types of, of NuGet and, and maybe dev things, but, but I can do a lot of stuff with the Windows Package Manager now, and I love it. Um, uh, you know, Power Toys, which is a, an add-on you can get, and it's open sourced, adds even more, you know, kind of good stuff for for people who are more like dev centric, kind of nerdy users, right? Like, like your us. your users, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and everybody, I think most of the audience on this show, there's a lot of really good stuff with this, and and um, the Windows Subsystem for Linux, which Jim Salter mentioned, one of the big things, and this will be coming to to Windows 10 as well, but it's it's already in the the stuff that's in Windows 11 is the the early support for graphical um, uh, uh, apps uh, within um, uh, WSL. Uh, So if you wanted to run Firefox installed from you know ubuntu or um a, a, another distro you could or if there was another gui app that 
for whatever reason you wanted to run, you could do that. That's um, actually and, and huge. And it works really well. And you don't yeah, have to is. go through installing X window ahead of time. You just no, install no. the GUI app and it works. Exactly. Um, there, there are some limitations and there's some things that aren't quite there yet. It's, that's obviously the teams are working hard on that. But there's a lot of uh, opportunity there. One of the interesting things in that case uh, is uh, when it comes to CUDA workflows. So so CUDA is, is uh, NVIDIA's um, uh, you know, uh, proprietary kind of technology that most data scientists and a lot of other you know, big workloads use. And a lot of people really like to use uh, CUDA stuff, but they would want to be able to use that kind of on, on the Linux side to, to use their GPU power. And you can, and you can have the pass through and, and, and do a lot of CUDA stuff within WSL, which is really powerful for, for a lot of engineers. So um, that support, again, is, is still becoming enhanced and, and NVIDIA has added driver support and stuff like that. But it's the opportunities there, I think, I love WSL. It's one of my favorite features you know, the last few years that, that it's been available. Um, and, and I use it all the time. And, and the, the newest versions and the, the GUI stuff, I think, for people who like, okay, you have games and maybe you have some apps or you like the interface, the security, whatever the case may be, you like the Windows operating system better. But if you're doing dev work, you would really like to be in a Linux environment. The way that it's coming together now makes it much more seamless uh, and I think really good. You'll be glad to know Jim Salter installed it on a framework laptop. Oh, so yeah. Before, I, I'm not surprised. Before the show, we were talking about how much Christina and I love our uh, frameworks, the right to repair well. laptop. Um, I want to talk about the package manager. That's kind of interesting. Winget. Uh, for years, Linux installs have always, distros have always had something called a package manager for Ubuntu. It's apt or apt get. Uh, for Arch, it's uh, Pac-Man, which makes it very easy to update the operating system, but also install new apps. And if you install new apps through the package manager, which most Linux users do, keep those apps up to date. It's just a really nice way of doing things. Um, Windows has never had a first-party package manager. We mentioned Chocolatey and NuGet, but the, you know they were very limited. They were more like Ninite. Uh, than real package managers. I think it's interesting, Microsoft. Does, does WinGet work outside of WSL? Can you use it as... Oh, yeah. So it's just a, a general... It's a command line only, though, right now, or is there a... It is command line only, yeah. No, I mean, because the, the, the GUI equivalent would be the Microsoft Store. Um, oh, uh, but there's stuff in it. Oh, God, you're hurting but me. No, That's, no, no, but, but, but... Hey, but, come but, on. But, <laughs> it was redone. Oh, my God. I, but, 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 A, the, the Microsoft Store has been revamped, is getting a lot better, but B, and this is important... You can install stuff that's not in the Microsoft Store, so people can still add and package things specifically within, you know, WinGet and, and other ways, and, and it'll download it, you know, through their direct binaries and, and update them through that process. It's very similar, I, I would say. You know, uh, Pac-Man Apt is is um, uh, probably not the best analogy. Probably um, Homebrew uh, is the best on analogy the Mac. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, which is also on on, on Linux now too. Um, and the reason I say that is because the main containers themselves like arch is a little bit different but like with, with you know debian and ubuntu and, and red hat stuff typically the stuff is added and, and is you know you have package maintainers who are adding them to the catalog and making sure things are updated and, and whatnot whereas with homebrew you know somebody adds a config file and it's getting it directly from the source itself and and then installing it um and that's what how, how winget works and, oh, and so winget really is, is it building every time does it install no, I mean, binaries it's, it's, or is so, it it's, it's getting binaries, right? So if oh, I do okay. WinGet install, whatever, then it's going to go to wherever it needs to install it. Maybe it's getting it from 
the Windows Store. Maybe it's getting it from a direct, you know, download location. Maybe it's getting it from GitHub, um, and then it's installing, um, a, you know, and, and doing the update process um, if you're if you're doing an upgrade or, or, or whatever. Daniel, you defend the Windows Store. It's no longer the repository yeah, of crap apps. Yeah, I mean, it was right. I mean, oh the, yeah. It couldn't get any worse. But I interviewed the um, the head of the new store, uh, Giorgio Sar- Sardio? Sardo. Yes, Giorgio Sardo. Uh, Giorgio is great. Yeah, and he's a yeah. He he's very so. He wasn't part of the store. He came from a, a different engineering background, but he, like a lot of people, had ideas of what the store should be, and so he wrote a white paper saying this is how I think the store should be designed and how it should be run and what the focus should be. And he started apparently circulating it internally at Microsoft. A lot of other people agreed with him. And somehow he eventually got, Microsoft was like, all right, go for it. You know, basically it couldn't get any worse, right? Uh, Because the store up to that point did have a lot of problems, mostly a lot of it related to phone, of course. And then the bigger concept here, we're going to make phone apps that can run on desktop, once phone went away, that sort of, you know, falls apart. So he completely redid the store, and his philosophy was get the economics out of this. The store should focus on two things, customers and developers, and that's all that matters. And we've got to bring those two people, those two groups together. And so he started from that concept, and then he went and hired a team to make this happen. And he basically went around the world. There's people from China, there's South Africa, there's India, there's the United States and Europe. And he hired a lot of people who weren't traditional store devs, but they were very good devs, basically, and brought them together. And they redid the store entirely. And during this process, they did things like Get rid of a lot of the monetization stuff, especially around uh, you know apps and taking a large percentage cut. They cut uh, their cut significantly, right? It's twelve percent for games, and yeah. did they say one percent for non-games? They said it's very low now. Right? Yeah, it's it's really not the focus of the store anymore. The store is about you click it in a way to connect customers to developers. It's a package manager. And so you, so yeah. Christina, Christina a, said was like, right. It's more of a package manager yeah. than a revenue storefront. And at this kind point, of at this point, it's shifted that anymore. way. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Because, like, you don't even need to wrap your app in, was it MSIX, which is right. the traditional store wrapper. So you can just list a Win32 classic app in there. And it uses the – so WinZip, when you go and download WinZip from the Microsoft Store, uses WinZip's installer. And it looks like it's 1995 again. And so devs can just do that. Just basically, that's the Epic Store is now in the Microsoft Store. And all it is is a Win32 setup installer. Now, if devs want, they can take that and then put it into MSIX and then get the store features. And then further down the line, they can go with WinUI and use uh, Project Reunion to basically modernize the app if they want to. And the idea is you take them down this path and someone can even do a UWP app if they really wanted to or do a web view um, PWA type style, right? So Microsoft is giving developers a ton of options, almost no friction to the store. And that's really changed things. If you open the store right now for Windows 11, it's kind of crazy. I mean, there's Disney Plus, Paramount Plus. Uh, there's, of course, Spotify. There's iTunes. There, there's just all these main, there's TikTok is in there. There's like all these mainstream apps that are now listed. And it's had more, men, more Photoshop. momentum. 
Yeah, yeah Photoshop, Photoshop is in there. Adobe's in there. But even more uh, than so that, Microsoft just... has said we're going to add Android apps to the store, and right. we're going to let anybody else, like Epic, for instance, put their own store in the store. It's already there. Yeah, which is bizarre. Yeah, Apple there. would Apple would never <laughs> Apple would never do <laughs> right. that. Um, that's really so. It's a complete contextual change for what the store means to Windows, and it sounds right. like for the for a very positive. Uh, they're going to have to convince people. They, they had a lot of, they've had more wins this summer and in even the last couple of weeks. And just this week, Disney Plus joined in. Now, not only did Disney Plus join in, they did this really clever idea that is very consumer friendly. When you search for movies and TV, say Cruella, you, you find it in the store. It gives you the opportunity to buy the movie if you want or rent the movie and you pay through Microsoft if you want to do that. But there will also be a Disney Plus button listed there. And if you click that button, if you don't have the app installed, it'll install it for you if you want to. If you already have it installed and you click it, it just goes into your Disney Plus account, goes to Corella and says, you know, you can stream this for free. And so that's going to be very important because right now we're so overloaded with streaming features and services that we don't know where to watch the content. Like, why should I pay Microsoft to rent it when I can get it free through Disney Plus? So that's what they're doing. So we may eventually see Amazon Prime there, maybe Vudu, wow. maybe Apple. That's, uh, that's, consum- that's super consumer friendly because that's exactly what yeah. a consumer does. Is I want to watch Cruella, but they yeah. don't search the store. Now they got to search the web and figure out uh, how do I get it, blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you just exactly. search in the store, there's the movie. Oh, it's Disney Plus. You press the button, Disney Plus installs, and it runs. I think that's yep. really smart of Microsoft to do that. So they're just doing a lot of these really clever ideas. They even have now their pop-up store, they call it. So when a developer has an app, they take the embed code for that app uh, to, to list it. They can put it into a web page. You know, you know, download it at Microsoft. You'll go to like, you know, Voodoo or something like that, and it'll have their app. But now when you click that button, instead of it like launching into a web page, which then allows you to launch into the store, then allows you to go download, it literally pops up a little mini store with the app the app title the description and install button you just hit install right there it doesn't even take you out of the experience of whatever you're doing at that moment it just installs directly so they're doing a lot of improvements here you know the the way the apps download has been improved windows update has been overhauled too the way it downloads now it doesn't need to download the entire update it only downloads the difference between what's on your computer already and what is in the update. So if it's redundant, it doesn't download that. On top of it, it installs in the background, much like a smartphone does with a parallel install, so that when it reboots the computer, you're basically just swapping out one partition for the other, uh, and then you're just back into it. So you're not going to have like 10 minutes of updates going on. So there's a lot of architectural changes here, getting Android apps to run, which I'm still skeptical of, of how useful they're going to be. That, does, but that was supposed to come with Windows 11, but it is is delayed. Yeah, pushed back. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, but the idea of running Android apps, Linux apps, Amazing. PWAs, Win32, UWP, like you could just run it all side by side and it's going to be a seamless experience. Like what operating system does that today? It's, I think it's a very significant change, both in philosophy and the architecture of what Windows 11 is. I think a lot of people sort of just, uh, you know, they focus on just, oh, the taskbar looks new. And it's like, it's right. a lot more going on here. I think a lot of uh, more sophisticated users uh, are very aware of how containers have changed how we use 
computers, where the operating system really is just a holder for whatever you want to do. And it sounds like Microsoft, Microsoft, I think, is very aware of this. They, you know, with Hyper-V and so forth, they've been very aware of virtualization. They're very aware of Docker and other container technologies. It's It actually makes sense for Microsoft to say, hey, we don't, we're kind of platform agnostic. We are, we're just the the, the floor that you put stuff on top of. And that that's actually a smart move for Microsoft. I think that's very interesting. Dan, do you yeah. imagine Apple... I don't. I don't. It's interesting because no. Apple's Mac. Yeah, no. The answer is no. The a, <laughs> a, Apple's Mac store is much more uh, like that. It's much more like a package manager. No. Uh, on the other hand, the App Store on iOS is all about revenue. That's in fact Apple's right. future yes. in terms of revenue. That's where I mean they make so much money, and I, I mean I don't know enough about the Microsoft end of things to know was that perhaps not performing as a revenue. Source. Oh, guarantee you, it was not. Yeah, so there, <laughs> yeah, right. There's an advantage Nothing to them to shifting gears, right? Yes. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> whereas for Apple, there's so much revenue that comes in via, especially the iOS app store, that trying to shift stuff in that direction, I don't think really behooves them in any way. But you know that that is the, the subject of contention in many different places right now. Oh, so yes. we'll what have is to see Apple's, how that kind of shakes out? Do you know what Apple's attitude towards homebrew is? I mean, that's a third party command line app that lets you install many many uh, uh command line uh and and actually to right. be fair gui apps almost i think all serious mac users use some form of package manager if not mm -hmm. homebrew uh maybe mac ports or fink or something like that do you think apple they certainly don't stop it do you think they no i i, I don't think they have anything against it and especially because the mac as a platform is so different in terms of and they they tried to make this case in the whole epic trial right that the mac is a different platform from ios ios obviously locked down the mac has always been at least on under mac os 10 based on the the bsd underpinnings let's right? face so it that, craig that. federighi threw the mac under the bus <laughs> During the trial, oh, saying, "Well, you wouldn't want to protect to be the, their revenue. You wouldn't yeah. want the iPhone to be as insecure as our Mac, would you?" <laughs> right, right, yeah. That was a, did everybody a lot of favors there. Oh boy. But, I mean, I I don't think they have anything against things like Homebrew, honestly. I mean, and I think probably most of the people who actually work on Mac OS uh, internally, I'm sure, yeah. rely on it for yeah. a lot of stuff. So, yeah. it's a, Apple's in an interesting position because developers do love uh, Macintosh, and they love it because it's a Unix underneath and uh, yep. you can do things like brew but at the same time apple's moving kind of in the opposite direction of t more and more tightly controlling uh the os perhaps for security reasons i think there's a good argument that it's more secure and mm -hmm. gatekeeper is becoming more important and and that is kind of an opposite direction from what developers want yeah. do, how do they and, and it's interesting to see microsoft move towards developers wsl is for right. developers that's what it's for um, hoping to keep these developers from Linux, you know, keeping or from Mac, right? Or, or, or you know, or I mean, Mac. Like, I mean yeah. right? Like, like honestly, it's I, I think it's a reflection and kind of an understanding that this is how people develop now, and and you know, you need to have some sort of you know Unix or Unix-like system underpinnings if you're interacting with the cloud or you know remote servers or whatever the case may be, um, and so. That's that's why WSL makes sense, and that's why many of us have been macOS users for so long. Absolutely, because, you know, it was Unix, yeah, right? Like I mean, that was the, the fundamental thing. It's a huge benefit too, right? Coming off classic macOS, which you know, let's be frank, was not a, a oh. super reliable, stable operating oh. system in many, many ways. So yeah. the macOS 10 reinvention, the fact that it was based on 
BSD underneath really gave it a lot of credence and it gave a lot of flexibility and a lot of familiarity for people who are coming in from that end of the the developer spectrum um, because all the tools that you need are there and all the tools that you're used to are there. And I mean, you can run a web server by, by spinning it up, right? That was a big deal that back in that day. And I think it still does them favors right now to have those yeah. underpinnings there and for them to be open, even if they are still building in more stuff like the system integrity protection and stuff like that, because you can't, you can't ignore the security aspects as well. It's a balancing act. And as, yeah. as somebody who likes the geeky side of the Apple equation, the, 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 the Unix side and so forth, I hope they don't go too far in the other direction. But so far, they've, I think, done a good you job. You and me both. Yeah. You and me both. And, yeah. and I don't know, you know how actively um, Apple like, works with the homebrew team. I do know that when the M1 came out, that they did work with them to make sure... Because it, it wasn't, wasn't compatible at first, and it, they had right. to make and, and, it work. Right, but, yeah. but, they, but they knew, and, and they recognized, like, like, Docker was another one of those things where yep. they're like, okay. And Docker took some time, because that was a little more difficult, having yep. to get the, um, the, the, the different uh, hypervisor, you know, kit, hyper kit or whatever, um, uh, you know, working because they changed how, how some of the virtualization stuff work with, with M1. But yeah, you know, the homebrew team did have, I know, like direct, uh, like contact to make sure that worked. And, and there were some compatibility issues at first, but it was actually remarkably quick how fast that turned out. So, you know, which is good. I think there was just a thing this past week too, about them getting the, uh, Linux basically being usable on the M1 kind of as a... Yeah, but that's one of the not ports. with Apple's cooperation. That is... No, no, not at all. Not, <laughs> certainly not. But like the fact that it's still possible is amazing. indicates a certain level of... Is ama- of I'd, I'd far prefer to run Linux on uh, on Mac and Apple Silicon than Intel if I could. Yeah, I, th- I, th- well, I mean, the challenge isn't even the way that it is now. It's usable, but it's still emulated. Like yeah, they don't have sure. the graphical they drivers. They, they it's, may it's never. Not, it's, it's, it, they may well, never. that's the problem. I mean, I mean, this was... And this was the thing that, you know, at least historically you did have people who would find ways to reverse engineer and kind of bring like in the pre x86, the pre Intel Mac days, you know, you had people who would, would find ways to have, you know, Mac specific, you know, power PC specific uh, Linux distros and stuff like that. But a lot of, most people, I think, at least that, that I always hung out with, and, and obviously the Linux ecosystem was different then too, is like, well, why do I need to bother with that? I can use, you know, Fink or Mac ports, which is what you used back then, you know, mm-hmm. and I can install my tooling and I have an actual, you know, Unix kernel, so screw it. Like, I, right. I've got everything sure. I need. Um, whereas now, the challenge with like this custom architecture is that we had this great you know 15 year period where you could do so much on the mac platform because it used the intel architecture and and so you had common drivers that you could use you know if you wanted to boot windows you could if you wanted to boot you know linux you could if you wanted to boot weird more esoteric you know os's you could because the driver models were going to be more available and now we gone to this place where if you want it to be bare metal anyway, you're going to have to reverse engineer it unless Apple decides to open up the driver model, which They'll let's be honest, they're not going to do. They're never going to do. I mean, it's always, it always has a certain niche to it, right? Like, I mean, most people who are buying Apple hardware are buying Apple hardware to use Mac OS. That's right. a big part of yeah, the equation. Absolutely. So, it used well, now, to be. Well, now for sure. It, it was, absolutely. Walt Mossberg said the best Windows machine is a MacBook Pro. It, well, he wasn't <laughs> wrong. For a yeah, long was. time, that was yeah, true. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So about 2015, anymore. it really was. Yeah. 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 We're going to actually want to talk about the surfaces in a little bit. There is a, a, a fascinating anecdote. Steve, uh, Michael Dell just put out uh, his memoir, Play Nice But Win, and he talks about Steve Jobs. And in it, he says Steve Jobs, when he came back to Apple, remember he brought the next operating system to Apple and, and the first iterations of Mac OS X, he wanted Dell to license OS X and ship it 
according to Michael Dell on Dell's fast-selling, low-priced, Intel-based PCs. Now, I guess Michael Dell said no because it didn't happen. He says he and Jobs are good friends. Uh, there's actually some very positive stuff about Steve Jobs. Uh, here we are on the uh, 10th anniversary of his passing. Uh, yeah, well, what he said was that that um, Apple wanted them to pay a licensing fee for every Dell machine they sold. Oh. And not every, and, and, and not every machine. Because <laughs> it could run Rhapsody. It could exactly. run Rhapsody, so you really ought to pay us for everyone. And, 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 and so <laughs> Michael Dell was like, thank you, but no thank you. He, he also I mean, said that... Yeah, that, that classic that, Steve Jobs. Which was yes, isn't it? Classic Steve Jobs. Also, he, he didn't... He would refuse to, like guarantee uh, at least this is what the the memoir uh, excerpt that i read said like he wouldn't have, have agreed to a, a guarantee of how long support would actually exist so you could have entered into the scenario where which this would have been classic apple where yeah you can run you know uh os 10 um the, the timeline seems a little off for it to be os 10 but but mac os you can run it on your dell um but Two years later, you know, support ends. Oh, if you want to continue using those Mac apps, you know, and love, you're going to have to spend up and buy, you know, a new iBook or whatever. Like, it, so there wasn't like any support length, which incidentally, that was a decision that HP under Carly Fiorina did not make when they made this stupid um, co-branding thing with the iPod to get, um, oh, uh, which yeah. really, which really, if you the remember HP that, which was really, iPod, yeah. mm -hmm. which really all that was, was that was a coup on Steve Jobs part because that got iTunes pre-installed on every single uh, HP and compact uh, desktop. So that was what that was about. He didn't care anything about the hundred or 200,000 iPods they would sell through HP channels. Who cares? They, they were selling more of them than they could make. But even in that scenario, like it was about getting iTunes pre-installed <gasps> on, on those That's machines. That's brilliant. But even in that case, they only, they stopped. Like they only did like one model. I think it was the the Gen three or the oh, Gen four. No, it was the Gen. Too. It was, it was, it was no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't crappy. It was. It was an iPod. It just had an HP logo on the well, back. Well, that's what was crappy. But it was the Gen four iPod. And when they came yeah. out with the iPod photo and the iPod video, oh, that HP partnership went away. Oh, but thanks for pre-installing iTunes yeah, on all those hundreds of millions wanted. of computers you sold. Yeah. Thanks so much. So, so. Uh, this is from the uh, the uh, memoir, uh, Dell's memoir. He said, look at this, Steve Jobs said. We've got this Dell desktop. It's running Mac OS. Why don't you license the Mac OS? Michael Dell says, I thought it was a great idea. I'll pay you a license fee for every PC we sell with Mac OS. Jobs said, no, no, no. That could undermine our own Mac sales. Remember, at this time, Apple, if Steve cut it off, but Apple was selling compatible, allowing compatibles. Mm -hmm. Um because Dell computers were less costly. Instead, Dell says, Jobs suggested, oh, here's what you do. Every Dell you sell, you put Mac OS and Windows on, and you let the consumer decide. Oh, and by the way, you'll have to pay us for every Dell you sell. But to be fair, at least it did come with Mac OS on it. Hmm. Dell says the but there were no apps then. I mean, like it would have yeah, been no such a disaster. Just, that would have been a yeah. huge coup for Apple. Apple would have made it was, you know, it's billions a, of dollars. I think it's exactly well, they're trying analogous. to dig themselves out of a hole. Yeah, I mean, they needed totally. the money. I mean, that's the quintessential Steve Jobs story. Like, and, and it was brilliant. Like, if he had been able to get them to agree with it. But Michael Dell was smarter than Carly Fiorina, so he did not. Dell writes, <laughs> the royalty he was talking about would amount to hundreds of millions of dollars. And the math just didn't work because most of our customers, especially larger business customers, didn't really want the Mac operating system. Steve's proposal would have been interesting if it was just us saying, okay, we'll pay you every time we use Mac OS. But to pay him for every time we didn't use it, well... Nice try, Steve. 
<laughs> uh, I think I will be reading this when it comes out. Michael Dell is an interesting guy, and he's it is much more frank than you would expect from a typical CEO uh, memoir. Let's take a little break. I do want to talk about the Surface uh, hardware. We got to talk about the Twitch hack. As I said, this was a very busy week, uh, and Apple's appealing the uh, Epic decision. Well, I'll ask you, Dan, about what you think is going to happen there. So lots more to talk about with our great uh, panel from SixColors.com. Dan Morin, always a pleasure to have you on. He's calling from Summerfield, Massachusetts, just down the road from Worcester. Daniel Rubino, executive editor at Windows Central. Worcester, Mass., Somerville, Mass., and then up from uh, Seattle uh, is a senior cloud advocate. Perfectly titled for somebody who lives in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, at Microsoft, Christina Warren. Uh, uh, slowly blinding people. Uh, I want to say, break, I will adjust it does not look cloudy right now in Seattle. The sun is no, no, it creeping is, uh, up and to my your blinds, eyes. My blinds are drawn, but I'm going to have to adjust what? them. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, That's okay. It's, just, it's this time of day. Yeah, Take a break. Uh, you can adjust your blinds while I tell everybody about ESET, which is our favorite antivirus. You know me. I'm not a fan of antiviruses, but I have to tell you, we have systems in our office that I'm very worried about. Ransomware is a big problem these days, right? And the last thing I want to do is come into work and find out the whole network is down because we got hit by ransomware and they want a million dollars in Bitcoin. Every time I see our IT guy, Russell, I say, Russell, are we safe? He says, we're safe. We're running ESET. I said, really? Our editors, it turns out, because, you know, once you get a stable system, they're running on beautiful Dell Precision Workstations running Windows 8.1. Whoops, <laughs> and we don't want to. We don't want to upgrade them to Windows 10 or Windows 11 because uh, it's just it's working. So we put ESET on there. Why ESET? Because ESET's so lightweight, it doesn't slow them down. Look at when you're editing video, you don't have you can't de dedicate CPU cycles to anything but the job at hand. ESET's notorious for being super lightweight. They're the global leaders in cybersecurity research and innovations. They've been our security provider at Twit for years. And one of the reasons we choose them is because I'm scared to death of ransomware. Look, this is uh, October. It's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, this would be a good time to talk a little bit about how ransomware is affecting everybody. It's not only proliferating, it's become, I think, so much more sophisticated because there's so much money to be made. So the bad guys are, are creating brand new strains all the time to get around detection. If they can hit you, it's big bucks. These kinds of evolving threats require a dynamic approach to detection. It has to be faster. It has to be more precise than conventional endpoint protection. And most importantly, it has to adapt. It has to be able to find ransomware it's never seen before. That's why ESET uses Dynamic Threat Defense, EDTD. It's a cloud-based, this is so brilliant, cloud-based sandboxing technology. When you get an attachment in your email, when, we, when our editors are getting attachments, files coming in, before they can even see them, ESET is uploading them to a cloud-based sandbox and testing them before they pass them along. And EDTD handles a wide range of file types, including documents, scripts, installers, executable files. It identifies and isolates anything that looks at all suspicious, then runs it in a safe, this is so brilliant, safe sandbox environment 
So they can do code analysis. They can inspect the sample. They use machine learning. They use in-memory analysis. They use AI. They can adapt. So EDTD analyzes all the behaviors and can allow or block a file almost instantly in, in, in minutes. This speed does not slow you down because it's all happening in the cloud. doesn't put extra demands on your system resources. And it's something endpoint detection alone just can't accomplish. You do not want to be, I do not want to be patient zero in a cyber attack. But how do you defend against a threat no one's ever seen? ESET dynamic threat defense. That's how. World-class ransomware protection. It's part of ESET's Protect Complete. The bundle does include endpoint security. We've got a lot of laptops out there in the field because m many of our people are still working from home. Full disk encryption. I love that. If the laptop gets lost, everything's protected. And advanced security for Microsoft 365, which closes those gaps in the native protection, too. Right now, you can get 20% off ESET Protect Complete. You can try it before you buy. ESET, I've talked about them for years. Get your free ESET business trial and an interactive demo. This is the only antivirus I recommend and use. Business.eset.com slash twit. Save 20% on ESET Protect Complete. And for business, this really is not optional. It's, I just got to say, it's not optional. Um, limited time offer, though, so don't wait. Go to business. .eset.com slash twit. I do not ever want to come in the door and hear, oh, we got hit. <laughs> that is that is a bad, that is a black day. We don't have to worry about it because we've got ESET. Business.eset.com slash twit. Thank you. Thank you, ESET. While Christina adjusts her blinds, let's take a look back at the week that was on twit. I got... The Bloomberry ice cream from Microsoft. Oh, you did! It embodies the fluid design of the OS oh. and the iconic Windows 11 Ooh, Bloom. That doesn't look like Windows 11 at all. It's Does, purple. Why are you eating out blue. of the cat's dish? <laughs> Previously on Twit. Tech News Weekly. It's time to talk about Windows 11. It is here. I think the big game changer is the ability to easily run Android apps from right within Windows. The problem is, of course, that feature isn't there. Instead, it's easier to snap Windows into place in, like, you know, different uh, structures. Windows Weekly. First impressions of the Surface Pro 8. It's a beautiful machine. The whole of those things together, the Surface Pro 8, the Surface Pro signature keyboard, the Surface Slim Pen 2 is exactly what people who love Surface Pro have been calling for for years, and it's going to make people very, very happy. This Week in Google. This is bad. A user posted a 125-gigabyte torrent link on 4chan that basically contains everything on Twit. Twitch. I'm sorry, Twitch. No, you don't get our source code. No way, man. The Tech Guy. Oh, help me, Uncle Oh, no. What's the matter, Naomi? Well, I have the ring doorbell, and it starts almost every week. Oh, it's too cold. You have to... What? Micah, by the way, says he'd be glad to knit you a sweater for your doorbell. <laughs> yeah, crocheting me a, a little dog with a red nose. He's right so cute. That would be really adorable. If you missed Twit this week, you missed a lot. Yeah, really fun having Micah uh, sit in on the tech guy with me. We're going to do uh, more of that. Did you got the Bloomberry ice cream, didn't you, Daniel? 
I did. Did you eat it yet? Came in a big box with dry ice. No, I haven't actually. Why not? <laughs> I keep forgetting. <laughs> I know it's just. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably I'll try it tonight. I have it's never like forgotten to eat ice cream. chocolate chips. It looks a little weird, yeah. and it's got. It, didn't they say something like this? The uh, the swirls are to do, to sh- look like windows. The windows wallpaper or something. So I, I don't know about that, but uh, it did it did come from a famous company in New York City that's very Mikey well likes known it. for yes. yeah. Yes. Michael likes it. Uh, yeah. It's supposed to be very good ice cream and all that. I think it was it's a cute. It's cute. It, they sent it in a box with dry ice, which was kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah I'll try it tonight. Yeah, you. We know well, who Michael. eBay in ten years. We know who Mike. Yeah, that's what I would do. Just never eat it. Pretend it's <laughs> like your wedding cake and just keep it in there for ten years and then sell it. Uh, you really knew who Microsoft liked from who got it. Paul did not. Mary Jo did. You got it. I, Justine, got it. I did not. Did you get some? Did the Microsoft employees get any of this ice cream? Uh, no. 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 I mean, and it, 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 it sucks because, like, I would probably be considered an influencer by someone's metrics, but I'm an employee, so no, absolutely not. That's a good point. It's a good, you're just as much of an influencer as I, Justine. You should have got some. I mean, I, I think so. No, I'm kidding. It's fine. Um, uh, l- l- are l- you l- getting, who are... more importantly, are you getting a Surface Laptop Studio? I'm thinking about it. My, my issue is um, I, I love the idea. I love the concepts. Here's my thing. I'm waiting for the new MacBook announcements. I, I know. I, I need, if I, if, because I know. if I can get a 32, if I can get 32 gigs on like. How many a, laptops you know, does one person need? I know. Well, this is the thing. And so I just got this framework, which I'm in love with. And, and, and it's like a great like day in use thing. I will say this. I am due for like a corporate refresh. I'm like way, way, way overdue. Does Microsoft so, give you uh, your choice? Or do um, they say yeah, you but, have to have a Surface? Well, well, you can have a choice of I mean, like there. There's a number of different things you can choose from, and so my hope would be that, and I'm I'm like exceedingly overdue, but because of chip shortages and other stuff, um, they've still kind of put some of that off. So my hope is that if I don't get one personally, that I will be able to uh, you know cross my fingers and 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 bat my eyes and get it as part of my corporate refresh. <laughs> By the way, uh, Mikey Likes It Ice Cream in New York tweeted, uh, the blueberry ice cream with blueberry pie filling, pound cake, and candy chocolate pieces is free today at our East Village and Harlem locations while supplies last. That was on October 5th. So, shoot. We could have flown to New York. Yep. (laughs) Darn it. I'll sell you mine. Damn. (laughs) Can I turn to an NFT? Oh, man. Oh, Mikey likes it NFT. Honestly, blueberry ice cream with blueberry pie filling, pound cake, and candy chocolate pieces does not sound that tasty. It's a lot. That's a lot to put in ice cream. It is a lot. It sounds very sugary, but I'm guessing it's good. I mean... Hey, Mikey! I tried it once. <laughs> so what do you? So this is the of all the new uh, surfaces. Uh, I guess the Duo is pretty innovative. This is the most innovative. This is to replace the Surface Book, the Surface Studio laptop, with and now I'm I, I used a Studio for a long time. and They're not going to update that ever. But it has that kind of tilting screen on a laptop instead of the weird hinge. It also has a base. You can see it in this picture from Windows Central which is for the fan, because it's supposed to be very high-end, Paul was a little disappointed. He said it's not as high-end, it's not as fast as one would hope. Do you, do you agree, Daniel, or you seem to like it? 
It really depends what you want to do with it. It's a very fast laptop. I'm actually using it right now to power all this. It's running through a Thunderbolt 4 dock. It's controlling my Brio camera. It's controlling my HyperX microphone, running a second monitor, 27-inch monitor. And it's and the background blur you see is due to NVIDIA Broadcast, which uses AI and the RTX it's graphics a, card. I was going to say that's a much better blur than the software blurs you see in Skype and Zoom and other yep. things. I mean, it really looks pretty good. It looks real. So that's good. Yep. Yeah. So you need that's the power of NVIDIA and, RTX. And by the way, and those so aren't gauges in his ears. Those are surface uh, earbuds. Right. <laughs> yep. You didn't get your Very ears pierced. For, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very comfortable for a long podcast. They sound good. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it, it's it, it's it's fast and it's got a great graphics card, but it depends what you want to do with it, right? If your thing is you just want to game on it, it's an okay gaming machine, but you'd be really dumb to buy this as a gaming laptop when there's so much better other options out there. The reason you buy this is because you want to use those other postures to stage mode where you get that kind of cool triangle effect. It's really nice for being on a conference call, watching a movie, mm-hmm. uh, taking notes. Because you can pull that, you screen that screen all closer. the way down. You can pull it down to cover the keyboard, right. but you can pull it all the way down. It's still at a slight angle. Uh, studio mode. Studio yeah. mode. Kind of like the Surface Studio where you would use a pen and, and draw on it. Somebody was saying, though, it's not rock solid in that mode, that it's a little bouncy. Is that uh, your experience? I, I had no issues with it, but um, there's obviously... A little bit of a, you know, it does have hinging going on there. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, if you don't plan to use it for those things, this isn't a good purchase. But I think for people who rely on the pen, do a lot of video editing and stuff like that, it's totally fine. It's not, there. the thing with Surface, there's always going to be something more powerful. There's always going to be something more affordable. Uh, there's going to be something with more ports. It's always going to be the case, but you should be buying this for what it can do with those different postures and the pen uh, and the whole package. You know, there's uh, Acer makes the Concept D7, was it a Concept D easel, which is has the same pull-it-forward design. Well, Nova Very makes nice one display. too, I think, right? There are a couple of companies that uh, make No, this. HP does. HP. They do the Elite okay. Folio. The Elite Folio, yeah. yeah. So this design's been done before, but you know, if we go with the Acer you're going to get a much more powerful processor and it's going to be cheaper too, but it's the audio is terrible. You yeah. don't get a haptic pen. You want to get a 16 by nine display. Uh, it, it's plastic. You know, those aren't deal killers for a lot of people, but for some people they are right. There's a lot of benefit to what Microsoft has done with this design, including a haptic trackpad for the first time. Uh, so, you know, this is for specific Demographic, one hundred twenty hertz scientists. display too. I think some hundred twenty hertz display really want that. Yeah, yeah, yep. So there's a lot of firsts here. The audio is very good on it. It's got a very nice front facing camera, which is still a problem for well, even you know HP now is starting to get on board with five megapixel cameras uh, and high end. Apple Dell used to be struggles the worst. In this area. I'm hoping Apple puts a decent yeah. camera on the new. Uh, laptops right so this is like a complete package it's very fast though like i I think people get a little too fixated on benchmarks and it really depends what you're doing if you're doing productivity work with this it's it's fast enough you can get this at 32 gigs of ram two terabyte ssd in there you can get the 3050 ti graphics or the a2000 which is for uh, isv and engineering with uh, you know cad software uh 
it's very fast. Like there's no moment you're going to feel like this is slow, but yeah. it also depends, like I said, what you want to do with it. So right. had they put in a six or eight core processor, it would have been faster. It would have also right. driven up the price. It would have shortened the battery life. It would have made the device hotter and it would have made the fans louder. So you have to figure out how all this stuff balances out. And I feel like it did a nice job here in terms of balancing. But, you know, I put a lot of benchmarks on there. It's a fast machine. Are there faster machines? Of course there are. So it really depends what you're looking for. But it's for. top five uh, in PC Mark 10. So that's, yeah, that's I mean, pretty it's, good. In, in terms of productivity, in terms of productivity, it matches a Razer Blade 15 from earlier this year, yeah. which is a full-on gaming laptop with an eight-core CPU. So like, it's that was a 10th-gen process. This is 11th gen. So it goes to show you just how much a four-core 11th gen is improved over a 10th gen six yeah. or eight core. You, one of the things that uh, PC users have always had Mac Envy for the trackpads. You say this is the best trackpad on any PC available. So I, I have a story coming out on this probably next week. The company I've interviewed. So this is the company that makes the technology behind this is called Sensel. They're actually kind of a startup out of... Uh, uh, I believe San Francisco, actually San Diego, maybe they're out in California. Uh, so their technology is what's actually doing the haptics. Microsoft designed the trackpad itself, though, but they worked with Sensel here. And this is actually it's more power efficient than Apple's trackpad because haptics do require mm-hmm. power, right? Mm-hmm. That's how they operate. It also has a slider and uh, settings so you can control the haptics. How oh, much nice. kick do you want it? Yeah. Or you can even turn it off if you just don't want it at all. And it's, um, you know, it's they're not the first. Sensel also did the trackpad, the haptic trackpad on the um, Titanium X1 uh, by Lenovo. But you're going to hear a lot more of Sensel's trackpads being in uh, computers coming out through 2022 and a lot more designs. But yeah, haptic trackpads are a big deal. They They solve a lot of problems, including breaking, more consistent clicking, uh, and basically they can be a thinner design, which then allows for larger batteries or, or thinner laptops. I uh, uh, Battery life looks pretty good. I mean, it sounds like it's not the best in any one category, but it's a very nice combination uh, of uh, capabilities. And it does a lot of stuff, like, like I said, it can't be done in another laptop right. whether you need that is a separate question right if you just want a really nice laptop and you don't need the pen you don't need like the uh, stage mode or whatever then there are better options out there but the audio on this the 120 hertz display yeah. the the front-facing camera uh the have power we, the battery have life. we sold you christina yeah, I mean, I'm like I said, like I You're just waiting. bought a laptop. I can't, I, I can't, I can't buy like I can't spend six thousand dollars on laptops um, in one year. It's 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 hard to justify. But I want one. Like like I said, I'm really hoping that um, because I have a Surface Book as my as like my work issued laptop um, now, and so I, I'm hoping that I also have a MacBook Pro, but but that's very old. So I'm hoping that that my uh, I will be able to get one. You know, and, um, and, and briefly because Daniel issue. also reviewed the uh, Surface Pro eight. Finally, Thunderbolt yeah. uh, connectors, yes. huge. I wouldn't Massive. buy a Surface yep. until they did that, at least. That's why I won't buy an AMD laptop, to be honest. I yeah. won't get an AMD laptop because it doesn't have Thunderbolt. Yeah. And yeah. I, have, yeah. I have a lot of, I, like, I, I have a specific AMD motherboard on my gaming PC that supports Thunderbolt. Um, and uh, it was difficult to find one. Um, I, I that's that's like yeah. a surface pros are one of those things that are polarizing you're either in the, you either love them 
Or you go, why would anyone get get uh, a, a convertible with a bouncy keyboard? I mean, just for me, it's not for me. But but I know people who just say, God, I love my Surface, and I'll get every one of them. You say uh, in your review, Daniel, this this kind of is the 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 kind of the pinnacle of this. It should be, but it, but they finally kind of licked a lot of the problems with this. Yeah, right. I mean, the the latest Surface is always the best Surface, right. right? But this one is different because they redesigned it to match the Surface Pro X, which was one of the first major uh, modern designs they've done with the Surface Pro series. Right. But what makes this one good is the fact that they just gave people what they've been asking for. So now you got two Thunderbolt 4 ports. I connected it up to an eGPU. In fact, I have it on my desk here. I, so I was running my Surface Pro 8 with an RTX 3080 on my desktop. And then I used the other port going to a Thunderbolt 4 dock and connected all my stuff there. And I was using that as my desktop setup as well. And it worked flawlessly. And that's the power of having you know, Intel and Thunderbolt. And when people go, why don't they use AMD? It's like, well, that's why. That's why. Because pointed out, yep. you know, AMD and Thunderbolt don't mix in laptops. Um, and that's going to be a problem for premium ultrabooks and AMD, but that's a separate topic. But yeah, I mean, 120 hertz display on that one, haptic pen. You still got the, the industry leading, still the best front-facing 5-megapixel camera. That is the best mobile web camera, period, on any device right now. Um, you have a 10-megapixel rear camera, which is nice, you know. They updated the audio, so now it's two-watt speakers, and it's very good audio. Like, you know, Apple does very good audio in its iPads. This is, like, it's getting there. It's Plus, it has Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision for the display. It's just the entire package that kind of came together. Uh, the 11th gen processor is good and the new design is nice too. And then there's just small things. Yeah. It's black. There's a black option, right? Black laptops are notorious for picking up fingerprints and just looking really gross after about five minutes of using them, which is why I'm not usually a huge fan. They figured out a way so that this thing basically hides fingerprints. Uh, It's just all these little small details they put into it that um, I think they're going to keep this design probably for another couple of years. And I think that'd be fine actually. Uh, Dan, you just wrote about the, uh, you said the, the iPad Air, speaking of iPads, is everything that's wrong with Apple's tablets. Uh, this is your <laughs> article in Macworld. It's not the, anything wrong with the Air, it's the schedule no. that's the issue, right? Yeah, the, it's an issue that they've had with having all these disparate parts of the tablet lineup rolled out at different I times love the Mini. The year. I feel like the, the Mini, Mini's so yeah. good. what nice, an amazing, nice I mean, product. that has Type-C. Speaking of ha- finally having the right port, mm-hmm. got rid of Lightning, it's Type-C. Uh, it's just the right size. It has, a, I think, the, what Apple should be doing from now on, which is a fingerprint reader on the uh, on-off switch. I just love the Mini, and it's, oh, I love that size. It's so cute. So, <laughs> it and it good, works with it the is pen. a really good product. Works with the pencil yeah. too, and it yep. and it's pink. And it's well, yours speak <laughs> well, for yourself. Mine is pink. Uh, mine is pink. I'm just saying they they gave me a pink one. I was very excited about that. So thank you. No, the Mini is perfect. Yeah, I think the Mini is. I mean, it's too small to do. It's not a creator device. It's no. a consumption device. But and it, 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 it's not even a primary iPad. Let's be clear: the Mini is really like your secondary iPad. It's like your you have second your iPad, iPad Pro. <laughs> okay, that'll give you some idea of how bad we are. I have the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro when I need a big one with an M one chip in it. That's what I use. And when I'm lying in bed with on my side and I'm just reading Reddit iPad Mini is perfect. <laughs> you remember how on Star Trek Next Generation, Captain Picard always had the stack of tablets on his desk? This is why. Now you it's know. Why. He had like right. four it's different Apple's iPads. Fault. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and, and until we get like the expandable screens, you know, that we can roll out or whatever to make bigger until mm-hmm. that's an actual right. reality and not, you know, a weird Samsung or LG demo, then this <laughs> is what we have. We have to have six different size devices. Multi-iPad life. Do you think, though, at some yeah, point exactly. Apple will kind of get this schedule, get all the iPads released at the same time instead I, of this I, weird... It's tough to tell what is a result. This year, obviously, extremely weird, right, yeah, in terms yeah. of things rolling out. So it's no surprise that stuff's not perfectly in sync. I think in a perfect world, it's not like they released an iPhone in September and then like six months later, right. they're usually like, oh, uh, more iPhones that are also right. new, right? I mean, yes, you have the SE that comes out every couple of years or so, but it's not like it's revved every year at the same time. Right. I think in an ideal world, all the iPad lineup stuff would come out roughly around the same time. I don't know that there's a huge advantage for them targeting the spring, which they often seem to do with some of these, as opposed to targeting the fall. The fall leads in the holiday season. It's traditionally Apple's biggest quarter. You'd think they'd want all their sort of ducks in a row at that point. But it's also very full. There's a ton of other products that get released in the fall as we're as we're talking about right now. So I can understand sort of wanting to do a midstream, but it does continually put these sort of products in weird situations where, for example, the mini is now much better than the air. It's cheaper, and so if you don't care about screen size, then there's a lot of advantage to pick up the Mini. For a while, last year when they revved the Air, it was better than the iPad Pro, which was far more expensive. Right. And the Air hits a weird price point, too, where it's like for a 64-gigabyte model, you're paying kind of a premium. And if you want to go up to a higher storage tier, you're basically like 50 bucks shy of an iPad Pro. And the question is, well, shouldn't you just spend the extra 50 bucks and get one that's got more power to it? So I think they need to sort of figure out what is our lineup? Where does the air fit in our lineup? Because everything else feels very clearly demarcated. You've got that ninth, ninth generation iPad that starts at 330, which is like the, if you need like the bargain basement, but very capable iPad, great. If you want something that's like high end, the top of the lineup, the iPad Pro suits you really well. And if you're looking for something small, then then it's got to be the mini. But the air is kind of all over the place. So I, I'd like to see them do a rev on it. And I'm sure that that'll come around next spring. But they got to sort of figure out what, what is this product and who is it for? You're not in the Apple will do three events this fall then camp. I think it unlikely. I mean, we're all expecting a second one. I am not really expecting anything beyond that. Uh, I think that anything past that gets sort of in press release. Christina is clearly expecting an Apple laptop event this this October. I mean, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I, I hope so. Like yeah. if they don't, then don't that'll, know. that'll yeah. suck. But, but I mean, cause the, the difficult <laughs> thing is, is, is the chip shortage issue, right? Like I think that Boy, this is hitting everybody. In fact, Microsoft even said, uh, you know, we're not going to have a plentiful supply of the new Xboxes until next year. This is right. going to go on. Yeah. No, no. 2023. They said <laughs> it's going to be a long time. It's going to go on. Have you even yeah, trying no, to get I mean, one? Oh, I oh, have no, an Xbox. But I know you, yeah, have, you one, have one. You have I do. You have powers. one. Of course, you have one, Christina. I can help you get one, Dan, if you need help getting. <laughs> so one. So I asked I Brianna Wu. I said, fine. "Where'd you get that it's Xbox?" Fine. She said, "Christina, of course. Mm. Who else?" <laughs> or no, you got her a PlayStation Five. I'm sorry. I got a PlayStation Five. I, I think I did actually help her get an Xbox as well. I also got her the video card. Um, <laughs> what is what the you, secret? Dealer? What is yeah? What is the secret? How do you do this? It's just just dedication to the hunt. Just, is it the same skills you use in getting sneakers? Yes. So you've developed this this voodoo skill in the in the pursuit of sneakers, and now you could apply it to other consumer goods. Yes, actually, one hundred percent is the exact same thing. It's just it's become more difficult. It used to be easier um, for for stuff, but now everybody has learned the trick, so you compete with more people. The trick sneakers is to is a... know Christina. Apparently, <laughs> that's the trick. Just, 
I just like relentless dedication, like almost like focus. Like I, I, I think I've told the story before, but on my birthday last year, I was able to get three PS fives in one day. And, um, uh, you know, I had them shipped directly to other people. Like I wasn't taking any profit on anything. I was just like one of those things I was like, I'm going, I was like told Simone, I was like, I'm going to get you a PS five. And I found one for you know, my friend Kelly and I found, you know, got one for somebody else. And I was like, I'm just, I, I just woke up at like, Seven o'clock in the morning, and I was like, I've taken the day off because it's my birthday, and I'm like... I got magic to do. Yes, I do. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly it. I was like, I'm choosing violence, and my my, my method of violence is to score as many consoles as I can for the day. Yeah. Meanwhile, Dan and I, apparently lacking that uh, something, uh, we just every once in a while go to Walmart. You have better things to do. That's what I was going to say. No, no, you're busy. Arguable. Arguable. You're busy. You're busy. You're You're not sitting back on your laurels there, you... No, but I but I will like make it like I focus like to to, to do it now, I, I, and that's the thing. Like like if I'm just like, am I so lucky that I can just like pass away? Oh, I want this. No, it's like no, I'm gonna like dedicate like a ton of time, <laughs> like too much time. Do you just go to all the different sites? Is that what you do? Or no, you must have. Yeah, well, I have notifications set up for various Uh, discords and other things, but everybody does that. But you have to build. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, but there are Twitter accounts too. The problem is now everybody knows all the places to go. So you're all fighting people. I did. There are people who do bots. I don't do bots. I've thought about doing bots. I don't do bots um, because you never know if they're going to pay off or not. Um, there are some sneaker bots and Supreme bots that are very expensive, but apparently... Oh, you have to buy the bots? Well. Oh, yeah. Nothing, nothing's oh, yeah. free anymore, Leah. Oh, man. JBC3 in our chat room says it's not... She doesn't just want it. She needs it. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, and for me, like, there's a certain thrill. Like, and people have even noted this. They're like, you just really get off on like the hunt. Like, you just really get off on like finding it. And I'm like, you're exactly right. Like, it's it's one of those things where it's like someone's telling me, oh no, you can't get this. This is impossible to get. I'm like, oh well, now I feel challenged. So, <laughs> oh, that's the real reason. Let, let's, let's, it's a challenge. Honestly. Yeah. Oh, 100. So Apple. Uh, it's funny when Apple. When the court ruled on the Apple Epic trial, Apple was saying we won and Epic was saying we lost. And I thought, well, wait a minute, not so fast because Apple, aren't you going to have to now open your app store? Apple must have known that ain't going to happen. They have now filed an appeal. If they, they're they asking for a stay on the injunction that says developers can add those buttons to non-Apple payment sites in their apps. Mm-hmm. If Apple wins, according to CNBC, and this uh, will be decided by a judge next month, the change in policies may not take effect until appeals have finished in years. They may not have to make a change in years. So Apple really did yeah, win did. that Apple Epic There's, lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, they won nine out of ten counts yeah. on it. As my, as my pal John Gruber said, they figured, why not go for ten? You know, 10 out of 10, baby. Get a perfect score. Why not? And I, Why not? Let's it costs them nothing. It, right. it costs them nothing other than legal fees, and they have more money than anybody in the world. So, Do you think there's really a shot them, that they'll, they'll get the injunction? I think there's a possibility they'll get at least a stay on it as far as the appeal goes. Uh, and these oh, yeah, because they'll say, out. look, we're appealing this, Your Honor, so can we just not? Because yeah, so, we don't want to do it until we hear the appeal. And the right, judge says, exactly. well, yeah, that's it, fair, and then that's that. It's not a small move for them to make either, right. necessarily. It's not just flipping a switch. They just have they to demonstrate how hard this would be, how much right. work it would be. And if uh, the appellate court 
overturns it. See, we wasted all of our time. Yeah, I bet you're right. Sure. I bet they get right. it. And, and, and you can just, they can wait out the clock here, right? And if it turns out that they end up eventually losing two years down the road, they've had two years to exactly figure out what's going to happen and how they're going to play this off or to change their model in some way that doesn't require this or evade it in some other way. I mean, any company is going to play this game in terms of trying to figure out how to come up with the most advantageous result for themselves. And there are no exceptions to it no fools all right let's take it one last break and then we'll uh, wrap things up with a great panel this week so smart you're so good daniel rubino dan morin and of course christina i can get it for you wholesale warren (laughs) (laughs) it's great to have all three of you on the show our show today brought to you by it pro tv this is october cyber security month and man, is cybersecurity important when you're talking about IT. It's all we talk about, it seems like, on our shows. It's one of the most vital aspects. If you're looking to get into IT or if you're already doing IT and you want to get into cybersecurity, now's the time. The world needs there are millions of jobs literally waiting for you with qualified individuals who have the certs in cybersecurity, and there's no better place to get the skills you need, the certs you need, than IT Pro TV. Start your IT career today with IT Pro TV. You can learn IT, get certified in any of the jobs that you do in IT, desktop support, networking, cybersecurity. One of the things I love about IT Pro TV is their stuff is up to date. This stuff changes all the time. New versions of the software, new certs, uh, uh, the tests questions change. Microsoft just dropped the MCSE certification. There's a whole new set of Microsoft certs. You and of course, IT Pro TV keeps up because they've got this is kind of overreach, but they've got seven studios running all day Monday through Friday. So they're constantly updating new material. You can watch them do it live just as you watch us do it live. There's a chat room. And then the new material makes it into the library within 24 hours. 5,800 hours of IT training on demand. And you can watch it any way you want, on your computer, on your phone. They've got apps for all the streaming clients. I mean, the hardware really is fantastic. It's a spooky month for IT Pro TV this month in October, jam-packed with events focused on cybersecurity. Uh, they had an event, uh, which I think is now online, but they've got more to come. You didn't miss it. Uh, they've got a webinar at the end of the month, a Halloween-themed webinar titled, <laughs> I guess everybody in costumes, I don't know, CyberSec Incident Response for Small Businesses. It's subtitled Avoiding the Nightmare on Main Street. You can find out more about that at itpro.tv slash webinars. There's going to be a panel discussion this week, 5 p.m. Eastern on the 14th. Dirty, if you're interested in a career, you should absolutely watch this. Dirty Little Secrets of a Cybersecurity Career. It'll feature three cybersecurity experts. Don Pazette is moderating, one of the founders of IT Pro TV, the host of their Technado podcast. He's great. Uh, that's on the YouTube channel. There's more information there on the IT Pro TV YouTube channel. And then on uh, the 23rd and 24th, there's a free weekend at IT Pro TV, a chance to try a bunch of different courses free as a special. Just for the theme, the following courses will be part of the uh, IT Pro TV free membership. Your CompTIA Security Plus cert. IT Pro TV is an official partner of CompTIA, so they're the official video partner. So they're going to, they have great CompTIA stuff. The CEH cert, which is one I've always wanted, the Certified Ethical Hacker cert. The CompTIA CYSA Plus, CISA Plus cert, CISSP. Nobody does a better job of teaching you. They're edutainers, that's what they call them, are experts in the field, but they're 
not just experts. They're fun, they're engaging, and they're passionate about IT. And that passion makes it great content. Courses are 20 to 30 minutes long in each section, so you can easily watch it during lunch break. They know, you know, you got a job, day job, and you're trying to get a better job. This is something you can consume in your part-time. The edutainers are all on staff, which is great, because that means you can get assistance from them during the day. Um, I just think it's a great solution. The IT world definitely needs more cybersecurity professionals than ever before. Get your cybersecurity certs with IT Pro TV. Now, here's how you do it. You go to itpro.tv slash twit. There is an offer code, 30% off any consumer subscription. And it's 30% off as long as you stay active, forever if you stay active. That's twit30, the offer code. Make sure you know that and use it. That's a big savings. 30% off the lifetime of your active subscription. itpro.tv slash twit, offer code twit30. itpro.tv of course, they also have great uh, classes uh, for businesses, for teams. You should check that out as well. But that's for the consumer uh, subscriptions. IT Pro TV, build or expand your IT career and enjoy the journey. Great friends uh, of the network. We've been with them since they started. And, of course, now they're just going great guns. So, <laughs> on Monday, uh, uh, somebody put a 125 gigabyte torrent link on uh, Cha- 4chan for everything uh, Twitch.tv had. Twitch.tv's source code. Projects they hadn't launched. They didn't, they'd talked about like Vapor, but hadn't launched. Uh, uh, passwords. Streamer keys. Of course, as soon as I learned about this, I'm going to immediately change my password, turn on two-factor. They will force you to change your streamer key if you're a streamer. But the thing that actually is really interesting is they also released how much money the top streamers make. Well, it's actually how much money everybody makes, but the lists have come out of, of the top streamers. And number one, uh, Critical Role, which I'm gratified to know is a D&D stream. It's not League of Legends or something. It's, it's you know, tabletop. Apparently they put a lot of effort into it. I haven't seen it, but the costumes and sets and so forth. They made between... Um, and this is just for Twitch, not anything else that they did, not sponsorships or product placement or anything. They made, between uh, July 2019 and August 2021, more than $9 million. Nice work <sighs> if you can get it. It's wow. uh, <laughs> Now, it's my opinion. Some people like Vice is saying, this is terrible. <laughs> this is for streamers. Oh, no, this is awful. Um I, my opinion, this is actually good for streamers, and it's really good for Twitch because there are going to be a lot of people say you can make ten million dollars on Twitch. Count me in. Um, uh, do you think that people are pissed off that streamers make so much money? I mean, that's well, people are always dumb. pissed off other than people who don't make. <laughs> yeah, people who don't make that I, much money I, generally. I, as someone who doesn't watch streaming game i mean i check it out once in a while so i watched a chess one which was it was actually run by like two girls in their early 20s which i thought was fast in bikinis in a like, hot tub it, i know it's i've watched it it's no, fabulous no, they, oh okay it wasn't at all. <laughs> that one very okay. wholesome okay <laughs> I, it was very cool stuff but um i get mad when people get mad at these people for making money it's no, like first of all yeah. stuff is yep. not 
it's hard. Like yeah. if it was easy, go and do it. But turns out you need talent. You need to be likable. You need to be able to entertain people. And guess what? Most people can't do that. So I have no problem whatsoever with uh, people making money out there for what the market is giving. 80 them, streamers have exactly earned over a million dollars in the last two years. Bully for them. What's wrong yeah. with that? Exactly. Yeah. I, I will say a slight degree. I mean, like we run our own D&D th- stream over at the Incomparable. Are you uh, jealous? Where I work with Are Jason you a little jealous? Like, a little bit because we do not <laughs> make the fraction of that. You that didn't make, make $9.6 million dollars in the last two we, years? I maybe made $9.6 in the last <laughs> two years. <laughs> just, uh, you're just, you're D&D it wrong. That's all. I apparently. Uh, actually, speaking of chess, I was very gratified to see that uh, Hikaru and a couple of big chess masters made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. You know, grandmasters are notoriously threadbare a lot. They've never made any money. Tournament, you know, fees used to be a thousand bucks. It's a good job now to be a grandmaster, thanks to streaming uh, on Twitch and other services. You can make some good yeah. money. You can, but but as Daniel points out, like it's a job, right? Like this isn't oh, one God, of those things is it a where job? these people are. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, you know this better than anybody, but like this, the the the. the the most disarming thing and the people who are usually very successful are the ones who hide how hard of a job it is. And so you are kind of taken in by the fact that, oh, anybody could do this. But there's planning, there's scheduling, there's scripting, there's editing, there's, you know, like, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, in this case, this D&D one sounds like they have costumes and lighting. Oh, yeah, they put a lot. Things, right? yeah. Like, 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 like so, yeah. so, so, OK, so it was nine point two million dollars over two years. That's amazing. I'm not taking anything away from that. But if you were to look at what their hard costs are in terms of talent and in terms of other things, that starts to eat into that, right? To say nothing of the time. Well, and Twitch then, takes, you know, by the way, apparently half of it. Right. So that, right. they only get half of that. But then there's, right. you know, there's the product placement. And ancillary. No, you have, you have massive opportunities. I'm not yeah. taking anything away from it. I'm just trying to point out, like, this is a job. This, this isn't like people are just sitting back and doing nothing. Like some of the biggest YouTube channels are basically run like small television networks, right? Like, right. you know, in, in terms of, of the the amount of, of money and time and, and stuff that goes into it. And when you think about that, like even the most low end, like cable, you know, like, like let's say a news program, like, like cable news program, you're talking about something where you have a budget in the, you know, like, you know, at least low level millions, right? So just to spend on equipment and other stuff, obviously the, the budget on, on a YouTube thing can be less than that. But, you know, people, as they get bigger, they need office space. They need accountants. They need editors. Again, they need light, lighting. They have to take time for scripting. Managers. Like, this is a real managers. Yeah, this, this is a real gig. And and I think the the hard thing, too, is that this is like this is why we've heard so much about creator burnout over the last few years is right. that to yeah. keep it going, you have to continue mm-hmm. creating content. You can't take a break, like at least in traditional, you know, forms of media. You have either the, the typical television season or you, know, you have breaks, hiatus. Yeah, you have guest hosts that can come in and do stuff. You have support staff. In these cases, like the person is the brand and, and they can't take the break. So, you know, they're putting all this into it. So I think on the one hand, like I'm I'm like it's wonderful that people are making all this money. On the other hand, I feel like what hasn't always doesn't always get the attention when people see these big figures and they think, oh, I can I can get rich this way and it'll be easy is A, how much effort's involved and B, how difficult it is to keep up on that grind. Because if you don't keep doing it, there's no guarantee that that you know, if you take a few weeks or a few months off, that the audience will be there when you get back. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I can't imagine most people 
are surprised. I mean, we know Marquez Brownlee makes millions. Um, oh, yeah. Most people should not be surprised that there's money in this. And I don't think most there's people... There's an audience. Yeah, I don't think most people begrudge it. Nobody ever said, oh, Johnny Carson earns way too much money. Jimmy Fallon's way... No. You know, this no. is... We and, understand and, and this. No, and I mean, in fact, actually, that's a great point. Like, when you look at how much money Jimmy Fallon makes a year... And and if you look at how much work he puts into it versus some of the bigger streamers yeah. and, and bigger YouTubers, right. like it's not even a comparison. And and actually, when you look at audience size, they're they're more similar than you might think. Um, but one has institutional investment and backing and and massive massive advertisers, and you know one is just coming up. But I mean, this this is a real business. This is a real opportunity. If anything, I think it's like. You should. We should be happy that people are figuring these ways out. But to, to Daniel's point, everyone thinks that they can do this. You can't. It, it's 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 a lot of luck is involved, but also it's just not something every every single person can do. And even if you have a skill, like if you're a grandmaster, that may or may not translate well online. And you may or may not want to take the time away from your gameplay and your other things to deal with all the stuff that goes into a stream. Well, so, you know, I I. I I don't begrudge it. And I I bet most people don't begrudge it. It's the same story. Time Memorial has anything to do with media, right? I mean, or, I mean, we heard a lot about this in the, in the app gold rush as well, where everyone's like, oh, I make an app. I'll get rich. It's like, no, it's it's hard. Right. But anything, books, movies, TV shows, uh, the money's always been there, but a very small percentage of people can actually pull off the work needed to do that. Substack, you know, is the new thing. Yeah, exactly. It's always going to be, and we always... We always hear the stories of the people who make the most money. What you don't see is that the vast majority of streamers, I'm sure, are making absolutely nothing. I look at Henry's not, not that, they, have, they have no views. He'll you take know? all day. To I mean, it is right. hard work. And if you don't post one yeah. day, you go, oh, crap, I'm, I'm losing. I'm losing. I got to get out there. It's, it is really crazy. Wait till I tell you guys what basketball players are getting paid. I know. <laughs> Apparently, you can make millions by bouncing balls. Amazing. Too. I know. It's, <laughs> it's a crazy world. It. But it's, this video streaming is completely new and different. Yeah, That's part of it. Crazy about also, this, but let's face about The out, burnout stuff is, is bad. That is a serious you know? issue. Yeah, but absolutely. let's also face yeah. it. Social media, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, is designed to express outrage. So the people who are outraged are getting a You're disproportionate right. voice. Yeah. The vast majority of people are going, Whoa. Speaking of outrage, there's a lot of outrage among Twitch streamers and other gamers, uh, esports players, about the new Coke campaign. Have you seen the ad? I'm going to play it for you. I hope they Coke doesn't mind me playing their multi-million dollar ad for free. <laughs> for free. For free, Coke. I'm just pointing that out. Uh, it, apparently, it's going to lead up to some big announcement. But watch this. This is actually kind of an interesting ad. It's about eSports. So they're all playing what is not World of Warcraft, except it looks exactly like World of Warcraft. Uh, it's some sort of battle royale. you got your you got your uh, young young lady playing bunch of other guys they, she's got an orc that's just really dominant you know killing people right and left the crowd's loving it then wait a minute he gets knocked out oh no he's down is she down is she out she reaches over to her little mini fridge right next to her gaming station takes out a coca-cola drinks it and look what happens to the orc he wakes it gets up. diabetes yeah right he knows he <laughs> it knows gets diabetes she's and dies coke. yes apparently he somehow knows she's drinking coke and changes his tune. He says, wait a minute. Why are we... Why are we fighting this war? He... Why are we so angry? And he goes over. <laughs> he throws his axe into the ground. Says, the hell with that. Goes over, helps his opponent up. 
War's over, man. War's over. <laughs> the gamers are waiting. Wait, what the heck? What? What's going on? <laughs> it's a new world. Peace has broken out. They're taking off their helmets. Gamers all over the world are throwing down their mice. <laughs> all because of Coca-Cola. It's world, water. it's world news. I mean, this is the long amazing. one, by the way. You won't see this on the Super Bowl, but uh, something like a little bit. Of what was the down. Pepsi ad from a couple of years ago? Uh, uh, for the- Kendall, I was got to say this is better than the Pepsi ad. They can they can feel better about that. It's less tone deaf than the Pepsi ad, but only barely. Yo, oh, oh, we're, we're, uh, what's your name? Is handing a Pepsi? We're Kendall to a Jenner cop. hands hands yeah. the cop. Yeah, yeah dur- during yeah. during a, a very just oh, a right. protest for peace. Yeah. The motto yeah. of this was- is: We are one Coke away from one another. And so, <laughs> yeah, Jeez. now admittedly, it's, it's sugar water Oof. designed to cause diabetes. But <laughs> that aside, I mean, it's a nice message. Gamers are pretty upset that there have been memes. I think they're getting the benefit of it. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they've, I mean, it's a bad ad, but if they're getting the memes from it, then honestly, Coke is getting all their money's worth. Um, the, the Pepsi ad was tone deaf and terrible, and they had to remove Kendall, it. Of that Kendall Jenner ad was so awful. I agree. Like, like, like that like was a, genuinely like, bad. Like, 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 this is funny. Like, this, I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous and saccharine, but if people are going to meme it, then I kind of like I it. think the Coke... It, I, and I here's the, the other thing you should take away from this. that was going to happen. Esports is now big enough that you can oh, yeah. be a multi-billion dollar company, buy an ad on NFL football about esports, and people get it. Yep. Yep. They finally made it. It feels like a exploited by companies modern and corporations. <laughs> Welcome. It feels like a modern version of the I'd like to buy the world a Coke. I was thinking the exact like same a, thing. I was like, exact, I was yeah. like, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I'm actually kind of sad they didn't tie that into the messaging. Like they should Why have like not? played yeah, like on. they should have played some of the, 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 the tones of that just for like the, the few people, you know, in the target audience who would get that. Because it, 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 And that would at least be more tongue in cheek. Like we're aware of the ridiculousness here. But like if they mm-hmm. played a couple of the, you know, like like piano tunes of, you know, I'd like to buy the world of Coke. I mean, like that that theme song, I mean, that came out. Coke has often done, all the soda companies have often done feel-good ads. uh, Always. That make you go, aw. By the way, what do you you think? The Christmas ads with the the snow bears. The polar bears, yeah, yeah, yeah. The polar bears, yeah. Aw. What do you think? Are her, uh, is her fingernail art on fleek, Christina Warren? Or uh, take a look at this here. What do you think? The little dots on there. Is that what all the esports gamers are going to be doing now? I mean, I think it looks good. I, I don't actually know what like all the gamers are going to do, but I like it. I think it's, I think it's nice. <laughs> I'm not maybe, mad at it. Maybe Coke, Coke is getting, they say, ratioed because they're 12,000 thumbs down and only 1,000 thumbs up. But again, that's a great way to get attention uh, on uh, YouTube. Speaking of getting... PR. It's the hello, fellow kids meme. Hello, fellow <laughs> kids. <laughs> Let's play although a game. I, although I bet that the marketing exec or the ad person who came up with that was probably closer to like being like a Gen Z age-wise. I than, bet they had to fight to get that on the air. I'm sure they did, and, and but I'm just saying like, like for that to be as detailed as it is and whatnot, I was like, okay, you had somebody who was younger who you know, helped um, uh, craft that message. I would love to know the story behind the, the campaign in that regard. No, I, I mean, like, like like I said, the Pepsi ad is a legitimately bad ad and funny it, for that reason. This, if people meme it, 
what they are doing, unbeknownst to themselves, getting so mad about the advertisement, is they are literally just giving Coke the eyeballs and yep. the and, and repeating the message over and over again, which is all Coca Cola wants. Coca Cola right. is the number one you know soft drink in the world right. by a massive margin because everybody knows Coca Cola. Like right. that's that's the joke. You can show anybody the logo in any language, and people are like, "Oh yes, I know exactly what that is." So. Speaking of getting ratioed, the most famous uh, YouTube video getting ratioed was, of course, the yearly Rewind. (laughs) K-pop! Yeah. (laughs) Which is now officially dead. They have, YouTube has said, we are not going to do this ever again. Uh, They canceled it last year, ostensibly due to COVID. They said, no, you know what? Eh, It's not coming up. It's not coming back. Rewind is gone. You know what else is gone? This show. It went by fast, though. Thank you so much. You three are fabulous. Daniel Rubino, it's always a pleasure to see you. Come visit us anytime. Executive Editor of Windows Central at Daniel Rubino. You must have this great setup because you do a lot of podcasting. I mean, you've got perfect lighting, perfect sound. (laughs) Plug your plug your Here's a practice. Yes. Yeah, we do the Windows Central podcast every Friday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on uh, our YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah, occasionally guest here and other spots as well. So we also have a gamers uh, podcast on Saturdays, Ooh, too. For, what's, uh, what's that? The Windows. And that's the Windows Central Gaming uh, account, which is a separate YouTube channel. So Windows Central Gaming, and it's hosted by some amazing people who uh, are a lot better at gaming than I am. That's for sure. I'm, I'm too old for this stuff these days, but those guys are excellent at it. So they do that every Saturday and have chats and all that kind of stuff. Last time you were on, you had a lot of uh, game controllers. I see now you have some nice Nokia Windows phones behind you. Those are beautiful. Yeah, I go for the old retro. Dug them out of a box. <laughs> I like there, that. You know, very, keep that passion very alive. Nice. So. Very nice. Yeah, yeah I've, been, uh, I've been playing a little bit of... Uh, it's kind of fun to see it again after 20 years. Diablo 2 Resurrection uh, on my Xbox. Yep. Doing uh, huge traffic for us. It's a beautiful game. I mean, I loved it in yep. the old days. The gaming is, you know, it's funny how it hasn't aged that well. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember there was a lot of grinding. That's right. Oh, yeah, I got to go back and forth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my God, I'm so tired of the portals. But it's fun to see it, and it looks beautiful. They really did a nice job of it. Daniel, thank you for being here. Uh, also want to also want to thank Dan Morin, sixcolors.com. He writes for Macworld as well. You do more podcasts than any normal human. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah it takes yeah. up a lot of my day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us about him. Sure. Uh, I co-host a tech podcast called The Rebound every week with a couple of my fellow Apple aficionados, Lex Friedman and John Moltz. Um, we sort of take an irreverent look at the week's news, often Apple and other stuff. I love Moltz. Uh, Does he admit now to being <laughs> the... Uh, I won't say anything about okay. this. <laughs> okay, he won't admit it. Okay, we all know what I'm talking about. I, I can about. neither confirm nor deny. Yes, okay. Good. Uh, and I, of course, uh, over at Relay FM, I co-host Clockwise with your pal Micah Sargent, my pal Micah Sargent, every week, which we do which our 30-minute roundtable. you had uh, me on once, roundtable. and it was so much we did. fun. We should have you back. I'm not used yeah. to doing short shows. <laughs> it's a short show, I know. This is, this is a little bit of a trick, it's so, a but it's a good a show. It's tough for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great to see you. Do a bunch of that. Thanks. Appreciate it. Anything else? Did I get them all? Oh, 
Well, that, those are my main shows, but I also want to always pump my books. I'm a sci-fi novelist. Oh, I as forgot well. the novels. No, yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, I got two, uh, three out right now. Uh, most recently, the Aleph Extraction, which is on sale, and the next one is coming next July. The Nova Incident pre-orders going up pretty soon. Has uh, Apple Plus uh, approached you yet for uh, serializing the no, Aleph I'm, Extraction? I'm, the fingers crossed. We'll see how books. see how Foundation does. I think that'll be a good. Uh, what do you think? Good intro. I I like what I've seen, and uh, I'm enjoying it's expensive. it. Expensive. You got to remember that Isaac Asimov was never about people or characters. It was always books about are big the books ideas. are very dry. Yeah, and, like they have cool ideas, but I think it was never going to make a TV show just one to one. So I'm glad that they spent some time investing in character and all that stuff. They had to, and people are complaining. Oh, it's not yeah. like the novel. What well, couldn't be like the novel? And by the way, novel. still suffers from that kind of. A little bit dry, a little bit like mm. I don't care about anybody yeah. yet, but we'll see. I'm watching it. I can't stop it. Uh, it's so beautiful. I can't stop it's watching it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dan. And of course, Christina Warren, it's so nice to see you. Always a pleasure. Senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, film underscore girl. Are you excited about the new Animal Crossing? Are you, are you back to playing it or no? Well, I've taken a break, but I think there's an event that's in a in a couple of days, so I'm gonna I'm hoping to kind of get sucked back in. I am I'm not getting the new um, switch. You OLED didn't get the OLED yet. switch? No. Well, I got one, but it's it's going to someone else um, <laughs> of because course. well no well they they needed it and and they who do you go to when you need a console? You we need know to me and 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 I pre-ordered it, but Walmart is back ordered, so. It, they'll get it sometime next week. Um, I probably will wind up buying it, but Christina right needs now, it. Christina needs like it. A, you just want it. Like, she needs it. But I have like four switches. Oh. So it's stupid for, honestly, okay. I don't need it. That's true. So, then you're right. Honestly, right. So so it, it's it's one of those things. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But I, I do think that that'll bring me back to, to playing Animal Crossing when the uh, when the event is announced. You so and I I'm both have the that. official Animal Crossing switch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, which, which I got, which was like, I was like, I already had uh, several of them. I was like... No, I really want this one. This is like, this is really cute. So I want to start a new feature every time you're on. What is Christina Warren's sneaker of the week? Oh gosh. Okay. Hmm. She's taking this seriously, actually, folks. Yes. She's I, actually I, looking I, at her collection. She's reaching I, I, over. She's going to go get her sneaker of the week. You think I'm right. joking? This is extremely serious. Oh. Look at these. Oh. This is a special rose gold. Um, uh, Jordan fours. I think these are. Yeah. And did you now? Did you buy that new? Yes. Um. Well, actually, a friend got them for me for my birthday, <gasps> and um, and he was able to get them for me off of uh, off of off of StockX. And uh, yeah. So these are the um. Yeah. These these are threes. I guess I, I can't think of like the exact name right now. Sneaker heads will will know better. But yeah, a friend got these for me for my birthday, but these are, this is my sneaker of the week. I love these, these rose gold. Oh yes, here it is. The Jordan 11 Retro Low. Is that it? Yes, that's exactly it. Yes. (laughs) StockX, is that your recommended place to snag your favorite sneaker? Yeah, if you can't get them at retail, that's, StockX is the absolute, it's like the best place. And the nice thing is these are used... But the people who treat who lo- love sneakers, they don't wear them. 
These are well, not... most of these are new. Most of these are new in box. Oh, they're new. So okay. usually, usually, like for some of their bags and other stuff, it might be used. But for clothing and for shoes, I think that the rule is typically that it has to be. Oh, okay. And actually, what happens with StockX, which is great because I think these came from StockX, is that they first go to a, a place where people um, inspect them just to make and sure, make sure uh-huh. that they're not counterfeit, and and uh-huh. then um, and and everything's legit, and then they send them to you. So this you, is actually a beautiful you know, sneaker. Are you going to wear yeah, it? Yeah, it's or really just great. Look oh yeah, it. I've worn them absolutely. No, no, shoes are for wearing. Okay. Leo. Shoes are for wearing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, there are some people who buy them to collect them. I don't buy them for that reason. I, I, shoes are for wearing. I think this would be a great feature. The Christina Warren Sneaker of the Week. Thank you very much. I like Christina. that. I like that. I, 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 I will credit you if I take that. Do a show. Do a show. I like that. I or, should do a show with that. Or, I like or that. Do it or like on, make a feature of a show. Yeah. Yeah. Do it on uh, uh, your show with uh, uh, Simone de Rochefort and Brianna Wu. Uh, the yes, fabulous rocket. rocket show. You can yes, have the rocket uh, sneaker of the week. I like that. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think you should do it and you can have it. I give it to you for free. Thank you, Leo. Appreciate Thank you, everybody. Always. Great to have all three of you. Thank you all for watching. Twit is a show uh, that we record. This is, I think, I think, I don't know. You tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the longest running, continuously running tech podcast in the world. We started April 20, 2005. So we are in our 16th plus year of operation. Uh, it's pretty. I think that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think we've we've kept up our standards. Maybe even got a little better over time. Certainly the quality's gotten better. We do the show every uh, Sunday evening. About uh, it's well, it's two thirty Pacific, five thirty Eastern, twenty one thirty UTC. If you want to watch us do it live, you can hear the conversations before and after. For instance, we talked a lot about the framework uh, laptop before the show. Uh, tune in a little bit early. The live streams are at twit.tv slash live. There's live audio and video. People who uh, watch live or listen live often like to chat live with us at our IRC. That's irc.twit.tv. If you're a member of Club Twit, which is our you know, our paid tier, seven bucks a month to support us. We really, that's the real reason to do it. We appreciate it. But you also get access to our Discord, and that is a fabulous place to hang out and chat all the time. You get a free... Uh, ad-free versions of all of our shows, not free, seven bucks a month, but they're ad-free versions of all of our shows, ad-free and tracker-free. And you get access to the Twit Plus feed, really hot on the Twit Plus feed right now. Steve Gibson did an Ask Me Anything on a Friday, and people are eating it up. It's very, very popular. Uh, you can, you, even if you missed it on Friday, you can join the club now and, uh, and download it. That's at twit.tv slash club twit thanks in advance uh on-demand versions of the show available there but also available on our website twit.tv there also uh, there's a youtube channel dedicated to every show has its own youtube channel uh and you can go there and watch the videos uh best thing to do probably be subscribe in your favorite podcast player if you subscribe you'll get it automatically the minute it's done of a sunday evening get it before everybody else does just in time for your monday morning commute and if your podcast player supports reviews would you do us a favor there's one downside to being the longest running tech podcast in the world people forget about us or never heard about us and we don't make it on the charts because we're not brand new so leave us a five-star review kind of spread the word help the help uh, help the world know about this week in tech thank you everybody for being here we'll see you next time another twit this is in the can amazing. oh boy 